Welcome, welcome to the Perfect 10 edition of 70 Movies We Saw in the 70s. I am Mike McPadden. I am the author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies in Madison, Wisconsin. Joining me is... Mr. Ben Reiser uh, of the University of Wisconsin, Madison Risers, of which there soon to be another one. My wife just got a job on campus. Uh, but I spend my time at the UW Cinematheque and once a year at the Wisconsin Film Festival. Fabulous. And we have a guest today in Los Angeles, and uh, I'd like to properly introduce him. Our guest this week is a actor, writer, director, producer, Chicago native, and not a retired MMA fighter, <laughs> who has appeared in more than 100 feature films, shorts, and TV series episodes, along with at least one MTV-endorsed video game. His best-known film work ranges from Paul Thomas Anderson's revered 1999 classic Magnolia to Terry Zwigoff's beloved coming-of-age fable Ghost World to Werner Herzog's 2006 Vietnam War adventure, Rescue Dawn. In addition, our guest has starred in three of the most inventive cult film game changers of recent times. The fact-based mind-ripper Compliance, the gothic spooker The Innkeepers, and the viciously hilarious, eminently rewatchable black comedy Cheap Thrills. In 2017, he co-starred alongside Taylor Schilling in his own feature directorial debut, Take Me. During his three decades of prolific showbiz output, our guest has shared the screen with legends, large and small. Screens, that is, not the legends. The legends are all large, including <laughs> Julianne Moore, Brad Pitt, Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson, John Malkovich, Steve Buscemi, Jake Gyllenhaal, and most importantly, Chris Elliott. His myriad <laughs> television appearances include series such as NYPD Blue, Six Feet Under, The Shield, Grey's Anatomy, Metalocalypse, How to Get Away with Murder, and three new shows in 2020 alone, Station 19, The Left Right Game, and Them, Colon, Covenant, all of which makes us say, him, colon, busy. With his brother Jim Healy, our guest has provided expert audio commentaries for deluxe Blu-ray editions of classic films, including Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here, The Taking of Pelham 123, My Bodyguard, and a movie whose commentary by all rights should have gone to the co-hosts of this program, The Flamingo Kid. And after all this, if you still primarily know him, from Captain America, The Winter Soldier, you are no longer allowed to keep listening to this show. Okay, that's not true. We love you all. Please listen and tell all your really cool super friends about us. <laughs> Join us now, won't you, in welcoming Pat Healy. Wow. That was great. That was, you know. Do you write Gilbert Gottfried's No, uh, no, that was my homage to the great Frank that Santo was, That was amazing. That was that amazing. Was, that was our awesome. tribute. Thank yeah. you. That was a tribute to Frank and Gilbert. You, yes. you had the yes. delivery yeah. of Gilbert and the, the writing of, of Frank yeah. Santo Padre. Well, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, what you do. Thank you. I, I so am much. Pat Healy. I'm also known as uh, Ben's uh, boss's younger brother. 
that's primarily uh, what you're known for, yeah. Primarily known for yeah. in this these circles, and I'm really happy to be here. And I uh, many a many a day has been uh, warmed for me during this uh, meltdown crisis with the uh, crackpot uh, cinema and and, the, and this podcast. So thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank I you so much. As Jim called it, the crackpot cinematic universe. Crackpot wow. cinematic universe. I think yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and please actually don't bring up Captain America again. Oh, no problem. <laughs> no, no, no it's fine. I just It's funny because it's like I worked one day on it because, you know, my, I'm friends with the Russo brothers who directed it. Sure. But, you know, uh, you know, people bring that up as if, you know, some significant piece of work. And you know, I stand behind Robert Redford for a day. That's fine. I'm not complaining. But the checks are good. But... Yeah, if you don't, if that's what you know me from, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I want to call bullshit not only on you guys doing the Flamingo Kid commentary, but also taking a Pelham One Two Three. There's another one that we should have taken care of. What well, are these Chicago one, boys doing with the? Yeah, so one was Pelham was whoever was doing it. What they were some podcast hosts. I can't remember which one. Maybe there was like a, a Grindhouse podcast or something like that. And they dropped out like literally at the last minute, and we jumped on it because that was a you know a VHS perennial for us. Sure. And then uh, the other two were Kino bought got the uh, ABC Films uh, cat- catalog, and we wanted yeah. to do take the money and run, which right. is you know Woody Allen's first uh, movie. I mean, I guess technically what's up Tiger Lily is, but you know his first movie that he directed and starred in, and. and uh, we found out that he doesn't allow audio con- I mean, he's very litigious in that way. So those two movies were Young Doctors in Love and uh, Flamingo Kid. Gary Marshall's first two movies were uh, also HBO staples. We saw Flamingo Kid in the theater probably several times, but uh, those two we had seen many times and knew them well. Hey, Mike, had you, had, had you seen Young Doctors in Love as a, as a kid? I certainly did. Uh, hmm. I'll tell you exactly when. I was at the Breezy Point Surf Club, which is right next to where the Flamingo Kid was filmed. The Breezy uh, Point Surf Club is the Catholic club. The Flamingo Kid it was filmed at the Silver Gull right next door, which, of course, is the much nicer one because it's the Jewish club. Where, by the way, my cousin Robert was head lifeguard at the Silver Gull. All I mean, this is the thing. Like, we're, we're, claim, we're reclaiming. <laughs> Do you guys, were you guys around when they filmed it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, wasn't, I yeah. wasn't on set or anything like that, but yeah, but he was working I, back in the... Right. Yeah, I was on the beach um, because the the beaches are connected, and uh, I didn't really see anything, but I tried to. Um, right. But we were at the surf club, and then I went to see Young Doctors in Love at the Kings Plaza Theater that night on the way home on Flatbush Avenue. There you go. I saw. I remember seeing the Flamingo Kid at the Rockaway Twelve Theater in Rockaway, New Jersey. I've been there. And being very confused, about, you know, at first, because I didn't know what the Rockaway in, in Long Island was. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. But uh, now, and now it all makes sense. Wow. Fascinating This is, a, this is already the best episode we've ever had. <laughs> Did you ever go to the Newton Cinema, Pat? Where's the Newton? No, I in don't Newton, think New so. New Jersey. So we primarily went to the Morristown Triplex. and okay, We lived in Morristown. Yeah. The Madison Triplex, which is basically the same. There were three... There were single screen theaters that were turned into three. So, but there was always like the middle one was big and wide, and then the the side ones were like you walked up like these uh, staircases, and you know the screen was in front of you, and the 
the lower down on the on the stairs you were, the more you have to crane your neck to look up at the screen. They did that in Manhattan. There was the crazy uh, Empire Theater in Times Square that was just uh, like a you know the agony of defeat from uh, Wide World of Sports if you stepped the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, actually, the Los Feliz Theater, you know, a block away from me sure. here. Is uh, is like that, but it's not it's not slanted like that. But it's it's like you know a decently sized screen in the middle, and then the side is like a handkerchief uh, pinned to the right. to, to the wall and projected onto. I have to correct myself. It's the seats. Embassy Theater, so that my, I will not be beaten on social media. <laughs> the oh, Empire I was, was on Forty Second Street. Well, was the, the Empire embassy. now the Empire is now like at the Empire Twenty Five or 25, something like twenty. Yeah. But yeah. was it was the Empire like a single screen theater? That at was some a point? grindhouse where um, oh, okay. Make them die slowly, aka Cannibal Ferox, played for two years uninterrupted. I just wow. saw Cannibal Ferox. It's good. Oh, it's potent. Yeah. It I preferred <laughs> it. To, I preferred it to Cannibal Holocaust. Me too. But it's much more yeah. fun. It's it moves quicker. Yeah. Better dick eating scene in it. Um, Amazing subgenre there, but yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Capricorn One today. Yes. The 70s. I believe this is a movie one. all three of us have seen uh, in the seventies. Now, by I the way, I don't know if I did or not. When did it premiere on the NBC movie? Because that's when I think I saw it. It was. It was so. I'm going to guess that was in, 1980. Yeah, me too. Well, that's good. It opened in June of '78. Yeah. And that's my memory of seeing it is on the you know NBC Friday night movie or Sunday night movie right. or whatever probably my Friday because uh, uh, ABC was usually the Sunday night movie right that was the big Sunday night but then sometimes they would do like funky stuff on Friday nights too ABC. right like alligator exactly yeah 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 although yeah uh, it, I do think NBC what did Eric Capricorn one I saw that because uh, OJ Simpson's presence is what got them to sign that was that was the yeah. Look, I mean, you know, thinking about it last night, that was the person I probably knew. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the you know, I'm I I don't know that I have, was familiar with Elliot Gould. I, I'm certainly familiar with Telly Savalas. Right. But OJ was a huge celebrity. Yeah. And in fact, in that in that documentary, OJ Simpson made in America, Peter Hyams is interviewed as saying, you know, he didn't want him. He he wanted uh, Bernie Casey or uh, Robert Hooks. Mm-hmm. But the, the the financiers insisted on on OJ, and he's like, yeah, we did our best with him. You know, I think they eventually became friends. But well, they, he's got almost nothing to do or say in this movie. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the part was originally uh, had more dialogue when those other actors were being considered. It's possible. I know that he said that they put prosthetics all over his face and body for the part where he's right. You know, touched because dying, like he yeah. couldn't he couldn't act. Today they just had to make sure he couldn't move at all. Well, in all fairness, they do that for Sam Waterston too, and probably for similar reasons. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? I, I want this. I want to be a fly on the wall in this conversation. Where it's like we got to get this guy's the funny guy. You know who's really funny? <laughs> Sam Waterston. Yeah. Who, what do you think? Like, cut no, up. Yeah. Who do yeah, you think? Known yeah. quipster Sam Waterston, <laughs> and he delivers every joke oh. of like like. Oh, this is shit. I gotta say this. All right, roll, just roll it. Let me just get it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm only doing it once, though. It I'm is. Fuck, I'm gonna it fucking is. have a meltdown if I have to say this twice. I want to come clean and say that I never understood Sam Waterston's appeal, so especially not later on in his career. The whole Law and Order thing baffled me. That show, I never understood. 
the appeal and especially his his acting in that show never made any goddamn sense to me. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say, you know. I have uh, uh, I have only warm feelings about that show and yeah, his presence I, I, on it. Yeah. And I know uh, from a friend who did market research for USA Network when it was, you know, I think it probably still is, on in marathons all the time. They were trying to figure out what was so popular about it. And it was the fact that there were stories that you could you could basically watch the show without actually looking at the screen. Like everything was like laid out in dialogue, simple stories. People didn't want character development. They didn't want side stories. They just wanted these, these straight up, you know, basically police blotter stories with familiar faces that they trusted and liked. And Sam Watterson, I guess was one of those people. I think he did. I don't know if it was before or after that was some sort of commercial spokesman for something. Yeah. Uh, Mesothelioma yes. or catheters or something. I don't know. <laughs> one of those. But he, um, but that's the same theory for soap operas, right? Is that they're, you know, you can be doing other things while they're on because you can yeah. listen to the. And, and every show on television, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> well, now, yeah. now with, you know, the advent of a little bit more cinematic uh, integrity. But that was, that was also Leslie Nielsen's famous thing about Police Squad. You know, the, the reason it failed is because you had to watch it. <laughs> right well i'm gonna say this first of all let me say that I, I i love capricorn one i loved it as a kid i was 12 years old when it came out um and uh i think it was that was exactly that was the 70s the late 70s and then the 80s for me was these that, that that was my total wheelhouse like this conspiracy thriller um loved it loved it from the very opening fanfare of that uh, jerry goldsmith score which i think is oh, incredible bless jerry goldsmith yeah. yeah yeah he made Great. any any movie better he scored he can make a bad movie good you know well and he did um yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. link with elizabeth yeah Schuller, Le- right i was gonna say that's the one i have that soundtrack on vinyl it's like crazy scores elizabeth shoe and terrence stamp and the crazy monkey you know in a single year he scored the cassandra crossing twilight's last gleaming islands in the stream macarthur capricorn one damnation alley and contract on cherry street which was a tv movie Holy moly. and he won the oscar the same year for the omen so because the omen came out in 76 so in 77 yeah he won his first oscar what did I mean, that that's freak crazy. me out that oscar telecast with the omen production number is. i haven't seen it I, is oh, it on yeah. youtube it's gotta be because i mean i was eight years old i was like what is going on here the first year i remember watching is 79 with the deer hunter and then i've seen it pretty much every year since but i don't know why i'm a glutton for punishment i guess but yeah that was the first year i remember i think walter lance won an award and they had like the woody woodpecker come Came on out, stage and, out. yeah yeah, yeah. That was the first one I watched. The whole one was '78 with uh, Annie Hall sweeping. Yeah. Right. Yes, I know your view. You, you were a, were you a big Annie Hall fan from the beginning? Like you saw it in the theater when it first came out? No, no, I, I did. Saw it. I did. He didn't. <laughs> I saw it on uh, ABC in um, the fall of '78. Right. The uncut. When, uh, right. Broad, when they famously uncut were uncut, broadcast. and yeah, and it uh, completely blew my mind. It just I. It opened up everything that people say, you know, punk rock did for them later, including myself often. Yeah, they ended up, so Deer Hunter was another movie that they ended up showing uncut too on television. Election night in syndication in 1980, yeah. Right. It was on FLD 32 in Chicago. I think over two nights. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they've re- well, it was, I think they've rebroadcast the whole thing. I think it was just two nights of the deer hunt. And then I could be wrong about this because, you know, we didn't have Z Channel. We had, I think Jim talked about in the podcast, we had this thing called On TV, which was right. like Z Channel. And I know they showed Letterbox movies, but as far as I'm concerned, Letterboxing started with Manhattan because yes. he refused to ever let the movie ever be shown in any other format. And as far as I'm concerned, it never has been. As far as I know, it's, it never has been. So when you have that kind of power, lay it down, yeah. man. The VHS copies of Manhattan were, were letterboxed? All of yeah. them? Huh. Uh, even, well, even when it first aired on you know cable and on TV, always. Yeah. It was, in I fact, saw that it on, was I learned the yeah. term. You know, that's that's where it, I first heard it. Right. Yeah, I saw it on A&E back when they showed such things. Uh, and I was oh, right. really uh, stunned. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And my first yeah, thought was when... I paid my money, fill up my screen. <laughs> I no right. longer think that, yeah. Now, I'm going to say that there are, it feels like everyone is in this film. I mean, this movie has every actor, actress uh, that was working in the 70s, seemingly. Every every sort of like, oh, I know that guy, I don't really know his name, <laughs> yeah. is in this movie. Including but, Alan Fudge. Yes. Alan Fudge. <laughs> yes. Um, just name garners t- giggles from me as soon as it appears in the credits. But I'm going to contend that for most of these people, Capricorn One is actually the best movie they they were involved with in the 70s. And I'm going to start here with Sam Waterston. I'm going to rattle off all the movies he appeared in in the 70s, and I contend this is this is the best one. With the the only contender, the only possible sort of runner up, or maybe I could hear an argument is Heaven's Gate, but that's 1980, so I don't really yeah, have yeah. to count it if I don't want to. But he was, uh, starting in 1970, he was in a movie called Cover Me, Babe. Anyone ever heard or seen of this one? That apparently is interesting. Like, it's uh, uh, Robert Forster is in it. Yeah. Okay. Is that correct? Oh. I heard uh, somebody speak about it. Maybe it was after he died, or the, it could have been one of the movies they showed at the New Beverly because they showed like a month of his movies, but I didn't see it. But I've I've heard it's a, it's a made for TV movie, isn't it? Uh, I no? don't. I, it doesn't say that, but I'm sure it's possible. <laughs> then okay. in '71, he did something called "Who Killed Mary? What's Her Name?" A VHS yeah. box I, I, at every video store in Brooklyn when it was when I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Savages in 1972, directed okay, by James this is Ivory. A film I have always intended to see written by michael o'donoghue and george ah. ws Traub, and directed by james ivory the first merchant ivory film yeah wow written by michael and o'donoghue and james ivory okay write that down ivory well, o'donoghue george, george, yeah george ws Traub, who was a great wit uh associated with lampoon also right okay also in 72 he was in mahoney's last stand oh no, no. Uh, in '74, he's in The Great Gatsby. Eh. Right. Yeah, no good. '75. Here's a movie that I that is okay that I that I can say okay things about. I guess Rancho Deluxe. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, good. that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. But it's hey, no even Capricorn though it has a Jimmy Buffett uh, theme song, right, but right. it's good right. otherwise. '75 uh, <laughs> is also Journey into Fear. Anybody that know that one? Sounds familiar. Is that a British movie? I don't know. Directed I, I, by I Daniel Mann. Fear is the key, I think. That sounds very British title. I want to backtrack a second. Yeah. Excellent Jimmy Buffett soundtrack contribution. Spicoli's theme, I don't know, from Fast yes, Times of Yes, that's true. 
I don't know. So, I don't know which way I would go. Exactly. I don't know. And if yeah. it wasn't, if they, if you didn't know it was Jimmy Buffett, you'd be like, "This is the greatest song of all." This yeah, is like this exactly. Cool, and then like, once you find out it's poppy him, it's, new it's all wave over. song, yeah, yeah. All right, keep rolling, Ben. In '76, Sam Waterston was in Sweet Revenge, also known as Dandy the All American Girl, directed by Jerry Schatzberg. Anybody know this one? Oh, Schatzberg is good. I mean, I love Scarecrow. Uh, there's yeah. an interesting what puzzle of a downfall child is pretty interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't know pa- this movie. Panic in Needle Park, but I don't know that movie yeah. now. He plays a character named Leclerc. Mm. So seventy-seven. Now oh, here's something else about Capricorn One. Half of these people's listings list this movie as seventy-seven. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. It, it, it was released in Japan in December of seventy-seven, ah, but, and it was okay. probably a one-night screening. This has made okay. me, as a guy who writes books on these damn things, it makes me yeah. nuts. Lots of my films that I look as are always the yeah. wrong year listed. It's usually because, and this happened a lot in the 70s, I noticed, like watching these, you know, because it'll have the copyright on the title and the opening titles. Yeah. And it'll always be the year before because they probably finished it then and then right. not right. thinking they were going to release it the next year. But um a lot of my movies, like you said, Rescue Dawn 2006, you know, it came out in 2007. Uh, right. Ghost World is listed as 2000. It came out in 2001. So, right. yeah, uh, even, you know, my some of my, my shorts, you know, like, or like Cheap Thrills came out in 2014. It, it played festivals I, in 2013. Wow. I, but I hit a trifecta there. Every year was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's all, it's like, yeah, I, I suppose it was a one-night screening. There's this, yeah. there's this quote from... From uh, Peter Hyams that I keep running into where uh, he says the first screening, you know, um, there was, where is it? I got it here. Sorry, excuse me a sec. That's all right. He's talking about being at a screening, which I assume was the first public screening. And uh, he said, audiences just stood up and cheered at one point in the film. It wasn't because it was such a great movie. It's just that certain movies strike certain chords with people. In a successful movie, the audience, almost before they see it, know they're going to like it. I remember standing in the back of the theater and crying because I knew that something had changed in my life. Sitting on the film cans outside the screening room, I felt my cheeks were were wet with tears. (laughs) A bright man, David Picker, who we talked about, uh, well talked about in a commentary we did recently in a film we produced, came over to me and said, you're going to have a lot of new best friends tomorrow. You better know how to handle it. Maybe that was the Japan screening. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Because it, it did well, but it wasn't like a right. huge hit. Does anybody right. want to guess what that audience cheering moment, standing up cheering was? I have a, I have a definite I, opinion on I what th- that was. I think it's the... Um, well, it sounds like it was like during the movie, but if anything, maybe it was the the once in future Mr. Streisand's running together in slow motion was at the it. end. God damn it, Pat. I wrote that same joke. <laughs> once in future gotcha. Mr. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> I would Hell imagine yeah, it was cool, the man. hilarious slow motion into uh, freeze frame of the <laughs> Mr. Streisand's running yeah but if it's earlier in the film no it's got to be and i don't i mean whatever we're not you know if if you haven't seen this film don't listen until you have but i I have to assume it's it's it involves telly savalas and it's the it's when they get the best of the helicopters but that's that's a really remarkable sequence and you know it just reminds you of like even in a kind of like look i really like this movie i own it i mean it's stupid like most peter himes movies but it's like there's (laughs) there's such craft to it 
and that sequence is like well known among like aviation like the it was the most at the time considered the most dangerous and complex aerial sequence ever executed for a movie and it's it's real helicopters chasing a biplane with a guy literally on the wing of the biplane right that's not right. a dummy that's an actual sometimes they cut away and you don't see it or sometimes he's not there right it's definitely not a dummy and sometimes Telly is not there because I think Telly did all of his stuff in one day. Yeah, right. And like when they're Clearly, flying, yeah. it's just them on a like a like a uh, you know they've got him on a on a riser with with a blue sky behind him, and he's talking loudly like yeah. they're flying. Well, in a on in a film that's populated with actors that seem born to play the roles that they have in this film, that's the one glaring anomaly to me is Telly Savalas. It's completely miscast, but it works. I mean, he's certainly yeah, he, instantly he's unforgettable. Yeah. He's supposed to be like a hick. I forget. I did yeah. read yeah. who it was because he's like, yeah. He it was supposed to be like Donald a, a, Pleasance originally. Yeah, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> Although Donald like, Pleasance did like hicks too, but I mean, I guess like, like you think like Will Penny and stuff. And, yeah, but, but, but Telly Savalas, especially Telly Savalas at this point in his career when everyone knows him as Kojak, it's such a right. crazy part to Perverts. put him into. He just yeah. loves yeah. the word pervert. <laughs> that, that's, a pervert. The, that's what I want to know. Is that was that the thing in the seventies that everyone was obsessed with the idea of perverts? It's such as I, I, I hear it in other seventies movies all the time where that seems to be the thing that people are worried know. about more than Maybe anything. It was like assholes or you know, it, it was it was that nineteen seventy seven version of assholes. Yeah, perverts. Mike, what do you, what do you think? All perverts in the seventies. His own yeah. son is a pervert, though. It's like his son decided to be a lawyer, and he's a pervert. Right. Like right. He says yeah. that to him. Yeah, everyone's a pervert. Um, but while we're talking about that, I do want to say that one that the that the there's one sort of clever sort of piece of I guess meta humor or like a one of the more interesting things that Peter Hyams comes up with is he's you know he's clearly doing this at times a nod to Hitchcock and a very like North by Northwest type movie. And I do think it's funny that he puts his protagonist in the crop dusting plane, as opposed to on the ground being chased yeah. by the crop dusting plane. That's, uh -huh. I think that's a very cute little conceit that he has. In I didn't movie. think about that. I mean, it's definitely, he apparently started writing it in the early seventies before Watergate and couldn't get anybody interested in it. Right. And then after Watergate, you know, he had his offers. But it it does have a lot of All the President's Men. The font that's used for the dates yeah. is the titles <laughs> yeah. is All the President's Men font. Although yeah. it's in all caps instead of the lowercase. And it has three actors from All the President's Men. Uh, Hal Holbrook, of course, playing another one of his classic crypto-fascist guy who you think is the guy's <laughs> friend at the beginning but is really up to no good, which he starts in Magnum Force and then does right. again for Peter Himes in the Star Chamber. Yes. Uh, and James Karen, the great James Karen, Mr. Pathmark, as those of us who spent time in the East Coast and knew him as the vice president. And then is that supposed to be the president who's giving the eulogy at, at the, the funeral? Very end, end? The president. Yeah, he's he finally like a, a he finally actor, makes an appearance. Yeah, because yeah. you're like James Karen is way more charismatic than the actual president. <laughs> but then you're like, yeah. but this is a better role. You know, the vice president yeah. is the part in the movie. But yeah, yeah I, you, I was expecting uh, like at least like a cameo from somebody. And it right. was just sort of this nothing yeah. actor, 
Yeah, I'll, some some vanilla car salesman, yeah. dude. Let, let me run through the rest oh, of Sam Waters. Oh, and Robert Walden is the, is the third uh, actor. Ross, oh. Rossi. I will only call him Rossi from Lou Grant. So, yeah. so great, you know. Th- that's a guy. Yeah. I want to talk about actors and character actors yeah. and the difference between the Should we walk the, the guys through the movie? This. I did like the yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah, okay. we absolutely but, but we should. Finish but Sam Waters. Let me yeah. finish Sam Waters because I, I don't want Mike Kenny to be digress. disappointed. But, you know, he's yeah. going gonna to put together a list of all the movies we talked about. So I'm going to give him a big list Mike Kenny. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Uh, he does a letterbox list for every episode oh, for both yes. this and Crackpot. It's pretty mind-boggling. Uh, so, okay, here's another one where I can see people arguing with me about Capricorn 1 being Sam Waterston's finest of the 70s. This is, uh, in 78, he was in Interiors, the Woody Allen movie. Left me you cold. Know, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it. <laughs> I guess I haven't seen it as an adult, uh, really. Maybe I saw it as a young man. I... I it's not one I, I think about. I, w- I would revisit it, but uh, he did sure. quite a few movies. He did a few movies with the Allen. Yeah, he did. did Crimes and Misdemeanors. And, yeah. and Hannah and Our Sisters, too. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think he's uncredited in that for some reason. Hmm. At least unbilled. Okay, then in 79, he was an Eagle's Wing. That's like a Native American Yeah, and thing. he plays White Bull, so I guess he plays a Native American. <laughs> uh, that's great. Unless, of he's course. Just, unless that's just the name they gave a white guy like, that they Like were, the Italian you know. uh, Iron Eyes Cody. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, and then in 80, he was in Sweet William, Hopscotch, and Heaven's Gate. So Hopscotch is the first time I saw him. Our mom took us to a double feature of The Elephant Man and Hopscotch. Perfect wow. double bill. <laughs> and for some reason, I was aware because I think maybe I saw the name Charlie Mathau in the credits, mm. who is Walter Mathau's son. Mm-hmm. But Sam Waterston looks an awful lot like Walter Mathau. Yeah. And I thought that was Walter Mathau's son. And that was like my impression for a long time. That's and great. he looks really? like uh, Charlie Mathau, who was recently on the Gilbert podcast. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. No, when they, especially, I mean, younger, obviously. But yeah, no, they, it's, uh, I never noticed it until you just said that. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like him, but he's not as funny as him, clearly. All right, Mike, let's try to go through the movie. <laughs> All right, let's and, walk uh, through it. And as I said, it starts right off the bat. The opening credits are about as good as it gets. I mean, that Jerry Goldsmith fanfare is unbelievable. And you get the two special appearance by credits for <laughs> Karen Black. In the Black. box. That's right. And in the Telly box. Savalas. I, mu- yeah. I much prefer the in the box credits to this other thing they started doing around the same time, maybe a little bit later when they started saying special guest star in films, yeah. you know, which they yeah. got from TV. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate that. But I don't and mind the, the role of... Yeah. The best <laughs> and, one of those and, is in the movie Hot Chili. I'm sorry, not actually, Hot Resort. The special guest uh, star is Mr. Frank Gorshin. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Call Frank Mr. Gorshin. The yeah. celebrity whom I I think I look the most like. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna find a really good Frank Gorshin movie then for Crackpots. When they made the uh, Batman Return to the Batcave movie, I don't know, like twenty years ago, a buddy of mine and I were both up for the part of the Frank Gorshin in the Riddler, but he got it, uh, and he looks like him too. But okay, so then we uh, quickly we meet our astronaut crew. We got uh, Jimmy Brolin, O.J. Simpson, Sam Waterston, 
So, uh, James Brolin at this point, best known still for playing Dr. Kylie on uh, Marcus Welby, MD, medical deviant. Mucus Welby. <laughs> but, but James Brolin is in the middle of such a hot streak for me well, personally. I think this like, kind of kicked it off. Well, I guess not. He was in the car the previous year. Well, well I, I'm going to date back. To, I'm going to go back to 73 in Westworld. Oh, sure. Uh, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he is in so many of the movies that I loved so much in that decade. Um, and it makes me wonder. Uh, I feel like he had a really good, or he had good agents. He had somebody who was getting scripts to him, and he was saying yes to them. There's uh, also those guys that, and I, I like James Brolin. I'm not trying to put him down. But there's also those guys that they, they went to everybody and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I, that was my next question. It was actually for you, Pat. But sometimes was, those would be good movies, especially during a period when it was so rich. You yeah. know, um, of course, this was after one that I've, I've heard Mike and Aaron talk about Gable and Lombard, which oh, yeah. did not go oh, so Lord. well. But, yeah. but let me ask you, who do you think would turn down a script before it got to James Brolin? Back so this 70s. would be James Caan, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the usual suspects there would be like... Eastwood? Uh, possibly. I'm thinking more I don't like think Robert Redford, maybe. Redford, yeah. you know, the, those, those guys that, uh, Ryan O'Neill probably, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that um, weren't A-list. Like maybe they start with a Redford or something, but... And I think, you know, Lou Gray po- ponied up a lot of money for people. But, yeah. you know, the reason you get like a Telly Savalas and Karen Black in a box is you pay them a right. million dollars to work one day or two one days. Day. Yeah. And, and they're like, and the agent's like, all right, but I want a box around the name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, does Peter Hyams know, mention anywhere like if he had originally got was looking for somebody else in that role in the James Brown? No, role? I only found the stuff about the OJ role where he mm-hmm. wanted either Bernie Casey or Robert Hooks, but oh, they really wanted OJ. I didn't, I, 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 maybe I saw something that, uh, where there were other actors considered for the role, but you always are kind of like, like when I heard you guys talk about on crackpot, I t- uh, talk about, um, partners and how it was going to yeah. be. They wanted Clint Eastwood and Woody Allen. Right. And Clint <laughs> said, you know, he would do it if Woody would do it, but Woody kiboshed it. And right. you're kind of like, did that actually like get past the level of like the agents though, or you know? Because sometimes you hear those stories and then you, you interview the people and they're like, nah, "I never read yeah. that," you know. So, um, but that's what I would guess. Like you know, those those guys like James Caan and Ryan O'Neill, who picked other bad movies to be in for some reason. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but here's my here's my list, and and I'm I'm with you. Like I'm I'm not saying anything about James Brolin as an actor. I don't really you know. He's fine. Like I don't think yeah. he ever like I don't think he ever sinks a film. I don't think that he particularly elevates any of these films, but but it's really looking back and to say, okay, he was in Westworld, he was in the car, Capricorn one, Amityville Horror, which is not a good movie, but it's you know it is huge. Yeah. yeah, huge top hit. five movie of one of the top five right. highest of grossing AIP film of all time. But then right. also <laughs> Night of the Juggler and High Risk, which are two other like incredibly Night of the good. Juggler is great. It's yeah. amazing. It's so great. But it's like it wasn't that well. That was one I just knew about because the video box. Right. And then I only <laughs> saw it like two years ago at the New Beverly that had oh, the director. Uh, what's his name? He's a big TV guy. He did the yeah. Batman pilot. Um, I want to see him a movie that movie and another one called 
called Sky High or something. It was like a kind of like spy romantic espionage movie. He did a bunch of kids there. movies too. Uh, Robert Butler. Yeah, and Robert Butler also directed the excellent uh, TV movie two-parter, The Blue Knight, uh, with Robert Holden, oh, with, with William Holden. Uh, one of the great William Holden performances, and that's on the Warner Archive Blu-ray. I saw it actually this summer. So, uh, yeah, Robert Butler did Night of the Juggler, and I think you talked about that. It was a Sidney J. Fury walked off after. Yeah. Roland broke his foot. But I don't know that that movie did any business. I mean, I, most people don't know it. No. It doesn't exist in any... No. It's a great New York, like, grimy New York 70s it, movie. There was I mean, no... I mean, I just remember opening the Daily News once and just seeing the weird ad. The title makes no sense. Where, where Roland is peeling He's apart the buildings. the city yeah. apart, yes. Which yeah. is basically what the movie is. Yeah. It's like... They kidnap his daughter, big mistake, right. you know. Cliff and then it Gorman. was hard to find. Like, I never even saw it on VHS till way later. I, I saw, saw it on the TV. The print I saw was very faded, right. um, but not scratched. And then I think Jim saw it on a YouTube. There was some yeah, it's on YouTube, YouTube now. So, yeah. yeah, but like in the VHS pan and scan version. But is it, um, has it, has it ever gone to DVD or Blu-ray? No, no. I don't think so. Definitely it's one of those not. weird movies that wasn't, I don't know if, uh, a studio distributed it. I think it was independently made, and it probably just some of these movies just fall through the cracks. Yeah, they kind of. Yeah, they don't know who owns them. Yeah, it's and a if movie. Not, not an incredible demand for them. Then there's no rush to get it out there. But it is a great movie. It's a movie that's so uh, so energetic and so sleazy, and just the main storyline. And Cliff Gorman is uh, you know incredible and the great action scenes but then they also throw in dan hedaya in this sort oh, of subplot so great. and he's Amazing. out of his fucking mind, his mind in this movie. yeah <laughs> he looks like he's been on a fucking three-week coke binge yeah. Wow. yeah he's in another movie but it's a good one yeah whatever it is <laughs> yeah. oh i know so when this the, the casting not about brolin but so when it was first announced the uh, Karen Black part was going to be played by Candace Bergen, and sometime <laughs> before they, you know, when they announced it and started shooting, she she dropped out. I don't know, but I don't see anybody else that they went after for mm. for the for the leads except for the OJ part. Okay, and sorry, Mike. Where were all right, we? That's all right. No, this is how it works. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think we got past we, the opening credits yet. We, we should re- also re- say, re- uh... rename this, but we digress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben and I recently watched High Risk for another project that we'll have more to talk about. What it's I haven't about. seen that one. Really good. Really surprisingly good. Really good. Good. I'll check it out. Um, so uh, Lou Frizzell as Horace hands the astronauts a Bible. Oh, by and the way. A, yeah. Right again, something that distinguishes this movie. This is the first scene in a in a goofy conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, B level Hitchcock, C level Hitchcockian kind of, you know, all the president's men were without any of the substance. But that guy, Lou Frizzell, gives a, an amazingly committed very touching, and emotional yeah. performance. Yeah. Boom, scene one. And this yeah, guy's right. only in the one scene. Yeah. And he just is, yeah. he's all there, right, Pat? Yeah. It's crazy. Right. And he's amazing. And you're like, you know, in retrospect of what happens, you're like, well, he wasn't in on it. Right. I, yeah. As far as I know, there's like maybe only a handful of people in on it, including the two helicopter pilots anyway. But yeah, he's, that's great. And it's very touching. And, and, um, yeah, it's just, you know, you're, 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 you brought up like, uh, 
Hitchcockian, but it's also like, yeah, it's it's the Alan Pakula yeah. conspiracy movie, you know, Clue, uh, Power, Parallax View, and yeah. All the President's Men, but like the dumb version. <laughs> yeah. And then, but and I recently I rewatched Alan Pakula's The Pelican Brief, which is like him returning to um, a conspiracy theory movie, but it's a John Grisham thing. Right. And it feels like, my thought was that it feels like a Peter Himes movie. It's like yeah. Alan Pakula <laughs> doing a Peter Himes yeah. move version of an Alan Pakula True. movie. Yeah. It's very entertaining and dumb in that way too. Yes, but but and but we should say that Bill Butler shot this movie and it looks fantastic. Well, you know, oh, there's some. Oh. Well, I mean, I think that after this movie, perhaps I don't know when Pyams. Yeah, a little later. A little later on, he started shooting his own movies because his movies all look the same, which is that they look great. I mean, as the budgets go down, they don't look as good, right. but. Um, it, you know, there's stories about Butler was a, a documentary cinematographer, and that's why, like, his, I think his big, you know, thing was Nicholson hired him for Drive, he said, to do all that kind of, because he knew he had a lot of documentary-type stuff in it. And, uh, and then he did Jaws, of course, and, but he did Cuckoo's Nest, but then Haskell Wexler, I think, took over from him, or they, I think that was like a scheduling conflict thing, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, he is credited as a cinematographer, and I, I don't see anything else that, to indicate otherwise, except for the fact that I know that Peter Hyams, I was Peter Hyams. He's Peter Hyams starts taking credit as cinematographer uh, with 2010 in 1984. So he, I, yeah, I went to a, a friend of mine is an author and I went to a book reading at a private home. Uh, I'd say this was four years ago and Peter Hyams was one of the guests. And when he got there, he started criticizing the host for the lighting in the room that the reading was taking place in. And my friend, the author who didn't know who he was, asked him if he was an interior decorator and he got incredibly offended <laughs> and said, no, I'm a, I'm a film director and a cinematographer. So <laughs> have you just, seen running my... scared motherfucker? <laughs> anyway, but we digress. So, uh, so let's talk for a moment now about, uh, OJ. Uh, was the subject of an article I wrote for Investigation Discovery Crime Feed called O.J. Simpson, Hollywood Star, 14 Times the Jews Scored at the Movies. Original title, 14 Times the Jews Killed It at the Movies. <laughs> and they made me change it after it had gone live. Um, so we should walk through a couple of his uh, appearances. So he debuts, he debuted in The Klansman. Mm-hmm. Which uh, someday, when we're less nervous, we will cover on. Uh, I still haven't seen that. I've been trying to find a good version of it. To, it's to, yeah, to it's watch. not easy to find. Uh, I will say one of the weirdest things of the Klansman is there's a, a porno theater that is still operating in Queens called the Fair out by the um, LaGuardia Airport, and the poster in the lobby under the marquee, like behind the glass, is for the Klansman. It's still there. Still there now? Uh, it, the last time I checked, which I admit it was a couple of years ago, but yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, the Towering Inferno. OJ yeah. made a big splash there. You know what his the character's game. name is in The Towering Inferno? I don't. Just watched it. It's either Jemigan or Jernigan. I think it's Jemigan. <laughs> J-E-M-I-G. He spends a lot of time waiting for an elevator. The elevator and... is what I remember yeah. of that. Does yeah. he? I think he has more dialogue in Towering Inferno than he does in Capricorn Definitely. 1. Definitely. And he gives, um, 
He gives Fred Astaire his dead girlfriend's cat at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A moment of cinema history we'll never forget. The Cassandra Crossing, which I That's just That's a big movie for me, yeah. That's a George P. Cosmatos uh, film, oh, right? Cassandra yeah. Crossing. It's pretty good. That was a movie. Just added that to my Amazon Prime queue. Oh, yeah, I... Jim and I watched that together. I think we enjoyed that. Yeah, I was desperate to see that when it came out. I was a little too young to see it and then was so excited to catch up to it eventually, uh, which I must have done maybe in college. And then, you know, I realized it was a piece of shit, but it's great. I've heard you guys talk about, you know, cinematic comfort uh, movies. Yeah. And, you know, and mine is definitely 70s disaster uh, movies. Oh, sure. and I've seen, I've watched Towering Inferno and Earthquake, and you know, I would put Capricorn One maybe in that. Sure. And even you could stretch it, Roller Coaster, uh, China Syndrome, like you could stretch it. Well, out and by the way, Pat, things, we're but... about to do an episode on a movie that I also think falls halfway into that genre, and I definitely, uh, for a lot of reasons, and I love this movie. We're going to do it in a couple of weeks called Two Minute Warning. One of my favorites, and a masterpiece. Couldn't agree Love more. It. Couldn't agree more. Mike, you still haven't seen it, right? You're gonna... I still have not seen it. I'm oh, waiting to wait so for the Yeah, yeah I think Jim had uh, the director of that in Yeah, in Larry Madison, Pierce, no? yes. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't show Two Minute hey. Warning, but uh, yeah. But the, that's, and, a, yeah. that's a movie that has another crazy, uh, when they showed it on TV, they had to film this whole subplot because the uh, the idea of a, of a lone gunman with, with no uh, motive frightened them. So they wrote, they... I've seen it. It's on the Blu-ray. It's the worst. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a, but they turn they it into this, a bank heist movie. An art heist. Oh, an art heist. Yeah. <laughs> there's an art. There's an art heist across the street at a museum from the Coliseum, and so they use the sniper as a as a distraction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Okay. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah. Back to OJ here. 1977, a killing affair. A uh, CBS mm, movie. Interesting. With uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, what about Killer mostly, Force? Killer, Killer Force, Force a.k.a. Diamond Mercenaries. Oh, okay. I've seen that with Tali Savalas. Jim and I watched that one, right? That's the South I, Africa Diamond I'm not Diamond familiar Mine with thing. that, but that is yeah. what it is, yeah. We saw that one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Kill, okay, Killing Affair, most notable for a uh, big part uh, as a bus pad. So OJ plays a bus driver. Whose bus gets hijacked, and uh, one of his passengers is the future Mrs. Nicole Brown Simpson. What is bus. that? What's that movie? A Killing Affair from 1977. Oh, that's a Killing Affair. Yes. And that's a, a TV movie, affair. right? Yes, CBS, yes. Nicole Simpson, who he apparently tried to rape on their first date, according to the documentary OJ Made in America. She wow. came home with all their clothes, like ripped in pieces. Lord. Good start. Auspicious <laughs> <Bad laughs> <ending>. beginnings. <laughs> uh, Firepower, 1979. Uh, He's Goldie also in the... Roots. He was in Roots. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, Sorry. Goldie and the Boxer, uh, an NBC TV movie that spawned the sequel. Goldie and the Boxer go to Hollywood. Sounds vaguely familiar, like something I would have just. And he's sat in and both. Like a zombie. He's in yeah. the sequel, too, huh? He's the is boxer. he the boxer? He's the okay. boxer. Goldie okay. is, is Goldie uh, like an old woman or something? No, nah, it's a little girl with blonde okay. like pink tips. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Detour to Terror is the movie where he's a bus driver. I don't know what Nicole Simpson's role was. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he knew Nicole in 1977. No, sorry, 1980, yeah. Detour to Terror. But l dig this cast. Lorenzo Lamas, Anne Francis, and Artie Johnson. 
Oh, Artie Johnson. I know nothing. Yeah. Okay, Artie I Johnson. take it. I, I read my stuff out of order. Yes, Nicole Brown is on the bus. I take it. It's over. Okay, yes. so, uh, yeah, and then Sam Waterston is the hilarious uh, wiseacre, or Weisenheimer, yeah. as uh, Hal Holbrook yells at him eventually. He dies uh, doing what he loved. That's, that's Apparently, stretching, stretching out and dehumorizing a joke. The, yeah. mo- the movie makes the, the 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 weird choice of denying the audience the deaths of these these two characters. But. Well, not only that, but it also denies us the visceral pleasure of the deaths of any of the antagonists in this movie. Right. Yeah, Nobody right. gets it in the end of this thing. I was going to yeah. ask, watching it again uh, this week. I realize they just as you say we don't it isn't actually we don't actually have evidence of anyone dying in this movie. No. Um, so we don't even yeah. know if they if OJ and and Sam They didn't Watterson. even put corpses of other people in the the uh, capsule to make it seem right. like in case yeah. there was an investigation. Right. As far as we know. Right. Well, if we want to start picking things apart, like Vincent Canby well, did in his review. Yeah, no, I saw that. But the funny thing is, like, I thought the same things, and then I was looking at reviews, and I went, oh, because I, I thought maybe I'm looking at this from a 2020 lens. Yeah. But then I looked at Canby's thing, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't make any I, you sense. You know, yeah. Canby's thing, Canby's nitpicks, I thought were a little nitpicky. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, there's plot there's going to be plot holes in any... Yeah thriller and, and and conspiracy thriller and stuff i think the what the, the ones that wound up bothering me in in, in modern day time and watching it this week was more stuff that i'd never even thought about before which is that they're supposed to be out, up in space for nine months right yeah but what the fuck are they doing? As far no as beards. we can tell, these yeah. guys are they, they not. They don't change their clothes in nine right. months. They're sitting in that conference room for nine months. Yeah. We never yeah. see them during There's the course no of that TV night. or right. anything. They don't know. But that I, I said they they would have beards and long hair if they're just stuck next to each other. Right. I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. They probably one of them would. They probably would have started having sex with each other. One of them would have eaten out of one of them. Yeah. Like I think my I think this movie plays, and I always thought of it as a kid. Was that this is this takes place over a couple of days? You know, they go up, they come down. They go up, they come down, and that's it. Like you, you get you get no sense of time passing from anybody in this movie, except maybe the Elliot Gould subplot, right? And you wonder, you know, we only see them in this warehouse in the the military base. It's like were they in a hotel? Where were they sequestered? Right. And why, and why were they, is, why were they why, not surrounded by armed guards all the time? Yeah, and, and, and I know we're going to go walk through the movie, and we yeah. should. But, like, this is one of the things that I agreed with with Camby, because I had to, like, stop the movie and, like, look it up. Why is the the medallion that that, <laughs> that Roland uses to get out of the door they're locked in on the stage where they shot the Mars landing thing? Yeah. Right. And it's this needle in a haystack, except there's no haystack. Like that's right. conven- they've cleared that joint out, but they've conveniently left this big clue for that's anyone to find. That's also a pretty elaborate uh, uh, <laughs> clue that he leaves for Brenda Vaccaro that yeah. Elliot Gould figures out somehow. That's yeah, right. I mean, it's like there's that's a lot right. of jumps there. <laughs> so wow, we we still haven't gotten to uh, the the rocket launch, <laughs> so which, which 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 begins it. You know right. this thing. So uh, we're at the rocket launch in Houston. David Huddleston, the big Lebowski, oh, is there as a fat cat senator. I like to think of him as Santa Claus, the movie. Oh, but... sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, Pat, no. I want to ask you this about character actors versus, I guess, just <clears throat> actor actors. Because I feel like yeah. this movie is populated with a bunch of guys who basically played the same character throughout their careers, but were never leading men. But you, you yeah. don't call them character actors, right? I don't understand the phrase, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it's a it's a convenient kind of, uh, you know, c- covers a lot of things. It just means, uh, 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 you know, people who aren't, you know, movie stars. But it's like Daniel Day-Lewis is a character actor. I mean, like, you know, he plays characters. I mean, and then the other thing, the other kind of, um, so the implication is that the other people are just playing themselves. So I think it was probably a, a, a phrase that came up when people didn't really understand how things worked. You know, if you saw Cary Grant or you saw, you know, Jack Nicholson or whoever, you assumed, oh, well, they're just playing themselves. And then there's these other people that play characters. But then a character actor is also Sidney Greenstreet, who does the same thing in every movie, or Peter Lorre, who does the same thing in every movie. So... I did say, not that I like to quote Kevin Spacey by any means, but but I think it was him who said, it just seems to be a term for uh, the actors that people don't want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, for, yeah. It's, like, to me, it's just a shorthand for unattractive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's weird because it's like, you know, I mean, Christian Bale is certainly a character actor. I yeah. mean, I guess if you're going to say he, he plays characters and, and can play a leading man, but. Yes, so, and the phrase, I guess, as we know it, yeah, we certainly would put people like David Huddleston or James Caron, you know, or even perhaps, uh, I guess Sam Waterston was more of a leading man, as was James Brolin, but we have Hal Holbrook, and um, who was also a leading man to a certain degree, and um, certainly Robert Walden or um, any of these people. But to me, Um, I guess the thing about James Caron and Robert Walden are that they seem like they are, it's not that so much that they're, that it feels like they're playing themselves. It just feels like their look and their voices set them as a type. And you know, that that, like you just look at Robert Walden, hear the way he speaks. And like, it sort of tells 90% of the story of that character. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, people call me that I, I, I don't take offense to it. I don't think people mean anything bad by it, but I, I, um, I've done all kinds of different things and I've done, I'm, I guess, I don't know what my type is. I, I, I just get hit. I, I have a, 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 a face people like to punch and throw things at. But I, I, other than that, I don't know what the, someday someone smarter than me will yeah. see the thread. No, I don't think of you in that category with Robert Walden or James Karen. I think that you have played very different types of characters successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess is the answer. It's the long way of saying it's just such a weird thing. But yeah. I'm glad I got to kind of talk about it publicly because I, I've, I've, I've had, you know, I've had conversations with people about it and I just I kind of don't get the, uh, you know, now people say that guy, he's one of those, that right. guys, you know, uh, yeah. which very frankly is better, you know, better. It's more sort of catch all. I appreciate that you think of this pop podcast as publicly. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say there's three more people now that know my thoughts on character actors. Yeah. Me, Ben, and who else? Oh, your brother. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike, Kenny. Mike Kenny. Don't forget this. Mike Kenny making oh, the yeah, list. Mike Kenny. So uh, the rocket launch, they're in the, I don't want to take your job away from you, Mike, oh, but they're please. in, they're in the capsule. They're about ready to go. And just some fucking rando in a suit comes in and is like, come on, hurry. 
and ushers these guys in these giant spacesuits across a, a runway into a van and then a jet. And their only explanation <clears throat> during the pulling them out in a van ride on the jet is like, I can't tell. There's no time to tell you now. It's like, we're on a fucking plane. Like, you don't and have time to tell They go 300 miles, yeah. And then when they get there, Hal Holbrook has a monologue. It's like five minutes long, which is great, but it's like... Yeah. Could you fucking, like, if I was about to go to Mars and there's, like, a bus ride and a plane ride and then a guy doing a fucking monologue, I'd be like, what the, f just fucking tell me what's going on. Before, I like, that, I like the moment. Than, oh, God. I like the moment where the co-pilot has, has conveniently has changed his clothes for all of them. And he, like, turns to them and goes, yes. we're going to be in the plane for a while here. You might want to change into something more comfortable. We're not going to tell you what's going on, but change it. And by the way, you're going to be wearing these for the next nine months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. But uh, before Hal Holbrook comes in, I like Sam Waters. He goes, a funny thing happened on the way to Mars. That's actually yeah, his that's best line. That was a good <laughs> yeah. line, not well delivered. No. <laughs> that's what I wrote he's, down. He, he's he the cut no, He has no uh, faith in any of those jokes. No. I think the, the thing is that his character is supposed to be a guy that tells bad jokes. Right, yeah. But I don't think he understood that. I, th I think he's just like, these aren't funny. So right. he doesn't commit to them <laughs> yeah, at all. Right. Well, that scene you know? where they're in the conference room was the first time I realized, hey, I don't think they've given OJ nothing to do in this movie. And he literally just has to sort of stand against a wall for like a, yeah. a five-minute scene where they're sort of hanging out waiting for Hal Holbrook to get there. And OJ doesn't say a goddamn thing. Yeah, he doesn't even say his signature line. We got a problem. <laughs> 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 a perfect time to say it. Yeah, yeah. And okay. What, so what would have been great too is later when uh, the helicopter pilots were chasing them. If one of them radioed in, "I see OJ." <laughs> yeah, and he looks real scared. <laughs> There'll be police all up in this. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, oh OJ, we were talking about. So the clans yeah. are building this. So all that. Okay, uh, Hal Holbrook comes in uh, once they're in the conference room. And yes, has this great monologue, a lot of exposition. Talks, Talks about, about getting crocked. Getting crocked. I remember when your daughter was born and we, we got crocked. And then we, <laughs> when, they, when they landed on the moon, we got crocked. And, uh, and I was taking a shit and we got crocked. Yes. It was right around this time that I, uh, I, told my, I, I said that Hal Holbrook was my, fam my favorite actor. My father got mad at me. And he never explained why. <laughs> what, what, was, what was it that you, what, what, what did you learn from? I was trying to remember from? what it was. And it was like, I always liked him, but he was in a... Did you see him as Mark Twain? I never, no, no, no. Uh, I liked him um, in The Awakening Land, which was a miniseries about pioneer ah. families with uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. I didn't see that one. He did a lot of TV work yeah, at the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I was just saying, oh, there's that guy that I like, but... Like, like yeah. most things I did it, as a child, my father was irritated by it. I can always remember liking him, too. I mean, I, I, I honestly can't tell you why, but, uh, you know, he uh, conveniently, like always, like I said, like paid these guys that you think are friends of the guy and turns out to be a total uh, prick. Well, he's one, of the, he's one of these guys, and I know we've said this about Barbara Streisand and about uh, Bernadette Peters, uh, but he's that same thing where it seems as long as I have a memory, it's like Hal Holbrook's just been there. He's like, always been there, yeah. 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 And looking back on it, you, I don't even know why. It's one of those things like, well, how, why was that? And like, that was and especially the weird with discovery Hal Holbrook, going through yeah. his credits. Yeah, I was like, why, why at age 10 was he my favorite actor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know. 
So, uh, and he explains that, you know, a conspiracy is afoot and uh, there are forces at work that they don't understand. Reminds me of my favorite moment from JFK when Joe Pesci goes, I'm dying to kill. Yeah. The shooter don't know who killed Kennedy. Yeah, it's a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. You're a mouse yeah. fighting a gorilla. But, like, let me ask this, though, because... How f- so? The implication in, in in Holbrook's speech is that there's corporate. You know, obviously he wants to keep the program going because it's in his self interest that because right. they found out that there was a problem, a mechanical problem, months before. Um, but they were going to go ahead with it, and this was their plan. Like he didn't ever try maybe broach doing it with Brolin or anything the right way or um anything like that. But like. Is it just him rogue with the guys in the helicopter? Or obviously that other guy that's in the space station that Robert Walden complains to is like, they're both like, ah, oh, it's your console is broken. But <laughs> right. they must be pretty good if they can completely disappear a dude and just move another woman into his apartment. And like, she claims that she's lived there for a year. And that was forever. really cool. That was really It's really impressive. cool and chilling. Yeah. I mean, now you look at it and you got to go yeah. like, well, didn't he go to like the manager of the building and be like, you know, didn't another guy live? I mean, I guess that that would that would that's a pretty vast conspiracy yeah. to pull out. But I remember that as a kid, and I remember the two things is my dad took my older brothers, Jim's two years older, my brother Paul's four years older, to see this. And Jim would come back, and Jim he still does this, and it's it's great. Jim would tell the best story of the movie. <laughs> And I couldn't see, and I didn't care. And I still don't really care that much about spoilers. I don't, I don't, I like to go into something fresh, but like, I remember vividly him telling me about the snake, the James Brolin snake scene, which is still pretty great. But in my memory, the plot was that the, the astronauts crashed in the desert and they had to survive. I didn't know. I, right. I wouldn't have known what a conspiracy was or anything. Right. So well, I, I saw this, uh, I had just turned 10 in august of 78 i didn't yeah, understand it. i was, I was about, about eight or nine yeah. too yeah i kind of liked it because it was a movie but and then i never revisited it and i completely loved it watching it this yeah time. it's it's good and it's it's there's an article i can't i was trying to find it but i can't it's actually in the washington post today by ann hornerday and it's about lessons we can learn uh from the 70s about movies you know when they come back which is that we think we think about this Easy Riders, Raging Bulls idea of the '70s was all these movies by these auteurs, but really it was just diverse. So in 1970 yeah. alone, you had the big hits were Love Story, Airport, Patton, Mash, yeah. movies that couldn't be more different from each other. Sure. Yeah, all kinds of different genres, and there was an audience, a big audience for all of them. And uh, they interview Lee Grant uh, in the in the in the article who was in a lot of Hal Ashby's movie Shampoo and she won the Oscar and, and uh, The Landlord. And, you know, she says, yeah, there were these great movies that were life-changing, that changed the world. And then there was just good junk. She said, just good junk. That's and that's it, like yeah. what you could see a Capricorn one. And it wasn't, you saw that movie now, like at the same budget level. I could say it's a $20 million movie now, according to the budget that it was right. then and made 50, you know, and it's just, it's dumb, but it's impeccably crafted. Yeah. And it has a great score, and its cinematography's great, and the editing's great, and it's got a couple of signature sequences, and, and it's just so lazy. You see these movies, and you're just like, 
it just looks shot like it's in a supermarket and, and you know like they don't bother hiring good actors for the for the, all the you know every part in this is cast so well yeah. Yeah. even the smallest parts like the uh the page that seats uh yes is, indeed is, is the uh what's his name from meatballs uh wheels uh, and meatballs wheels. good eye yeah yes and he's great and it's a one he's scene awesome. and, and it's a fully developed character and it's like now you just be like well we're shooting in atlanta so like you know just whoever whoever wants to do this for a hundred dollars a day or whatever it is right. you know and so you know junk now is just junk it's like there's a, there's rarely ever good junk you know i agree totally yeah I was thinking of this in terms of, um, I've never done heroin, but you know, you always hear like, Oh, the first time you do heroin, it's the greatest thing. And then you're sort of chasing that high for the rest of your life. And so for me, I think Jaws was my first taste of heroin. And then Mm -hmm. I spent the rest of the seventies and eighties trying to chase that high. And I don't know that I ever got there again, but movies like this and Westworld and, you know, all the president's men and things like that were pretty good highs. I mean, they were, you know, they weren't my, they weren't my first shot of heroin, but they were. (laughs) Well, and they talk about in this article in the post again, to go back to about jaws is that she goes, people went for the shark, but they saw it again and again because they loved the guys on the boat. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was, they developed scripts, you know, get people into the theater with the idea of what they're going to see and then make something good and they'll like it and they'll go see it again, you know, but I don't know. We we have an opportunity now with everything being shut down and reshuffled and who knows what the movies are going to be to do that. And, um, I, I, I'm optimistic that when movies come back, they'll be huge again because everyone will want to go and they'll be like the seventies where people will just go see whatever is out because they want to go to the movies, you know, that's, that's something that's really missing. And what it comes down to is if my wife and I want to go see a movie, it's $50, right? You know, which is an issue. And it's not like growing up, you could knock off and see a movie for a dollar 50. I thought the, the godsend was after the, um, the movie pass debacle that AMC, yeah. you know, started their thing. And I started using that and I did, I started going more right. and I started seeing things that I wouldn't normally see that I ended up liking. And yeah, uh, I did that with movie pass. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Some days it's just hot in the summer and you want to have popcorn. You know exactly. what I mean? That's and, uh, all I want to do. I was saying now it's that like, somewhere I saw like on the, I was passing by the big bang theory and they were in the lobby of a movie theater. Right. And I tried to jump through the TV. I was like, I need that popcorn. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, you were talking about that with Jim. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, the the um, yeah the the simple act of going and now it's sort of you know engineered now to be just like there's this one movie that's out now, and that's you know and you know most people prioritize that the movie they're going to see that year because it's fifty dollars like you right. said. Yeah. You know, um, but you know if they lower the price and you know they've been bandied about these ideas for years that. Yeah. Lower budget movies shouldn't cost as much to see as you know Iron Man, you right. know, or whatever. Right. And uh, so hopefully, I think it seems like if we don't get back to the movies this year, and we may not, that these chains can't possibly survive. And in the 1918 flu pandemic, Adolf Zukor used it as an opportunity to get rid of independent theaters and cement his own. Yeah. He bought all the theaters and threaten the people put out of business if, if they didn't. And he, you know, he was running, I guess it was famous players at the time, which became paramount. Um, maybe the opposite will happen now. I mean, if these big chains go up, but then again, maybe Amazon and Netflix will 
take over everything, and that could be good or bad. I don't know. But you could just go see a, a Capricorn One, which is a modestly budgeted movie that's fun and good and has actors that you like in it and um and not worry about like well it wasn't the best thing i ever saw so why did i spend eight thousand dollars i mean i bet it was like 250 to see a movie then yeah. you know yeah and he you know uh for for a for a popcorn movie you know for a sort of a just an entertaining sort of piece of junk it's 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 got a lot packed into it it's they, they, you know yeah. And the structure is 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 complex as far as like you know who is the protagonist of this film. So we have James Berlin, but we also have Elliot Gould. And the fact that right. we've got both of these narratives going on, sort of back and forth, is you know it's Peter Himes threw a lot. I, I you know I think this is Peter Himes' best movie by a mile, and yeah. I think he threw a lot of stuff into this movie that that is entertaining and really you know keeps you involved. I will say that I, uh, not that it's as good a movie, but um, when he settled on just making junk, I, my brother and I recently saw, I, my brother, my younger brother, a double feature of a hockey movie, Slapshot and Sudden Death at the Cinematheque here at the Egyptian. <laughs> yeah. And and Sudden Death, I remember thinking was okay when it came out, but I really enjoyed it. It's real dumb. It's, right. you know, Die Hard in a Hockey Rink with Van Damme, who Hyams. And has Powers Booth crashing a, a helicopter into the onto the ice, uh, but it, it, it's apparently happening so slowly that he makes meaningful eye contact with Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> as it's going on in his escape wig and mustache, no less. Anyway, so the rocket right. launched. They the rocket launched. So they they whisked away, and then uh, Robert Walden Rossi from Lou Grant, uh, also on the Showtime sitcom Brothers. Um, is that the Providence show? It was one of the. There was three brothers that owned a bar. One of them was oh, gay. No. Yeah, Brotherhood uh, is the one I think. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this it was like the first like. Cable I remember that now. Yeah. yeah, who was the gay character? In and the it show, was uh, yeah. yeah briefly uh, syndicated, but uh, right. So he's the NASA scientist. I always love seeing the NASA guys smoking cigarettes, drinking their black coffee out of paper cups, and uh, notices that the the numbers don't add up. Something is uh, amiss, and yeah, he gets he gets kind of dismissed and patted on the head and said, "Oh no, it's your monitor." And yeah. then he does it again, but again, it's like nine months later, and right. uh, and and Hal Holbrook, because first he does it to somebody else, then Hal Holbrook just kind of automatically goes, "Oh, monitor thirty six. Oh yeah, yeah, no, we had that fixed. That's all right." So, right, right. Go on. Oh, can way. we point out too that, um. James B. Sicking is the guy who's running yes. the TV operation. Howard. And he did a lot of, um, uh, yeah, Hill Street Blues, of course. Yeah. But he did. He was in a bunch of Peter Himes movies. But his thing, like, I guess when he met with the director first day, it was always like, what if I smoked a pipe in this? <laughs> he, like, if you go back to Point Blank in 1967, he's smoking a pipe. Wow. He's smoking that long-ass pipe. That was also Hill Street Blues, that was his signature. Yeah, yeah. I, I, every movie he smokes that pipe. Up That's the like, Creek, well, you know, he's the commander he's of the, the bad pipe. guys. He's got the yeah. pipe, yeah. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Dern always would do a Dernsey, which was different in every movie. Right. But yeah. James B. Sicking had the sicky, which was always to bring the pipe out. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same pipe. I mean, the resin in that thing yeah. must be just like thick. Yeah, I hope he cleaned it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's running the the TV operation of the fake. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun on the story no, of the uh, yeah. of the fake Mars landing. 
and it includes things like when the guys get out of the rover, it goes, and go to slow-mo. So it looks like they are <laughs> in right. slow motion. And yeah, and James Rowland dispiritingly pretends, you know, I'm descending the steps. I'm walking on the surface. It's right. very chalk. It's very powdery. And it does oh, beg the question. They've had nine months to do this. Why didn't they just shoot the, everything in advance and cut it and, you know, and do all the that special That was a big question. Yeah. Why yeah. wasn't this just pre-recorded? <laughs> they were rehearsing the whole time. They were in rehearsal and then they were in tech for like six And then I realized, well, they have to try and fool the NASA, the, the guys at the desks with the coffee and cigarettes. A couple crew members died in the in tech, like on the Spider-Man musical on Broadway. <laughs> That's they right. had to be replaced. <laughs> doing that, doing the one jump. I'm on the yeah. second step. Now. Yeah. It is interesting to me that, the, that for all of the thought and, you know, sort of craftsmanship that Peter Himes threw into not only the making of the movie, but certainly the script, that he didn't. You know, maybe they just cut these scenes, but he didn't think that, oh, I need, I should show what's going on with the astronauts over these nine months. And well, there seems to be, well, there's maybe that. And then there seems to be a very deliberate cut between Elliot Gould's discovery that Robert Walden doesn't live in his apartment and that he doesn't exist right to the, you know, the great, the car, uh, uh, runaway car, which apparently has been, is so good that it's been reused as stock footage in like several TV shows and movies since, but well, that's maybe, that's maybe the most Hitchcockian, um, sequence in the film. It reminded me a lot of a very similarly schlocky kind of like, you know, blue screen, uh, runaway car thing and family plot. And right. then, of oh, course, right. and yeah. then, and it's also in not North- even blue screens. The uh, the rear right rear screen, sorry, rear screen projection. Yeah. And then also, there's going back further to North by Northwest. There's a scene where Cary Grant's in a and they they they, they pour, make him drunk. Yeah, they yeah. pour <laughs> they pour a lot of vodka into him and yeah. send him on his well, way. They just light him on fire. <laughs> <but I don't laughs> so we'll just kind talk of, about uh, plot holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll just combine everything we were just talking. about. Uh, Robert Walden is friends with Elliot Gould, who's a reporter. He's friends with Karen Black, who is a reporter. And, Although uh, Vincent Canby, um, very sexist and snottily, refers to her as um, Elliot Gould's sometime girlfriend. Like He doesn't even acknowledge that she has a working role in this film. Right. And that her last name is Drinkwater. Right. Judy Drinkwater. Judy Drinkwater. Yeah, the Vincent Canby thing is kind of like the... Uh... I was just talking to my friend yesterday uh, about the. Did you ever read the Barry Gifford book about film noir, adventures in film noir? It's like probably no. 20 years old or something. Mm. And he's, he doesn't make any. He's like, Marie Windsor plays another woman with big tits. <laughs> like, <laughs> Brando is so chubby in this, he's bursting out of his jeans. Just like, <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. What's anybody's favorite Karen Black role? in this i love five, five easy pieces yeah i mean it's hard yeah. to get around that uh it's great Although i'm a big airport 75 fan too, and then though. and then airport 75 comes the trilogy of terror right i'm a big fan of this henry jaglum film can she bake a cherry pie never saw i, it. I, I saw my first and probably last henry jaglum film this year <laughs> There aren't a lot of good ones but i do recommend this one uh, and i think it's okay. on youtube it's karen black I remember when that was out. That was one of those movies that played for six months, yeah. you know, at, at some art theater. It's it's Henry Jaglum's version of Annie Hall with um, right. Karen Black as a neurotic to end all neurotics. 
way more neurotic than Diane Keaton and Annie Hall. But then the lead is this guy, Michael Emil. Does anybody know this actor? No. He's barely an actor, but he's fantastic. He's the lead. <laughs> he's like a... Jagglem always casts like weak male guy. Like yeah, the guy yeah. in that safe place too is just a total zero. Yeah. And against it, Tuesday Weld, who for some reason is in love with him. Right. But anyway, that's Karen Black in a non-Hollywood role, and it's and it's a fun movie. And I think I she's remember that getting good. savage reviews when it came out. Just absolute savage reviews. I remember the is description. Uh, some critic described Henry Jagglem as making as if Woody Allen was making movies with crayons. <laughs> I have to say I never made it through a whole channel. I, I, I saw the one that's in the BBS box set that I have from Criterion and uh, a safe place and you know it's got Jack Nicholson in it and he's good and and it's got uh, Orson Welles being real weird in it but other than that it's uh, it's not good no and he directed the uh, Robbie Benson police segment of National Lampoon goes to the movies which I is never one of the saw that. worst that, experiences you could ever have. Oh, is that that movie madness or also something? Also known as movie yeah. madness, yes, yeah. I'm smiling because I'm thinking of all the work we're giving Mike Kenny right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a machine, man. I'll kill, I'll, I'll kill that guy. <laughs> so, uh... Tell him that we talked, I said, I said, you know, we had technical problems before we started and... I told Mike that when I was waiting so long, I watched Berlin to Alexander Platz. So throw that one in there. Any other Fassbender films you uh, pick that Blu-ray out from? No. Okay. Um, we can go. We could. We, I don't want to torture the poor guy. Have we mentioned Brenda Vaccaro yet? In well, this yeah, conversation? No. We still haven't really talked yeah. about Elliot Gould at this point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're only an hour and twenty minutes into the podcast. That's okay. That's right. So, uh, so it's longer Gould, than the actual movie. At this point, was he was sort of he was beginning his spiral out of superstardom. He's moving into Chubbyville too. There, yeah, there's that for sure. There's that yeah. scene where he's they they bust they they bust him and he walks into his room and it's just like a full shot of his ass and it's <laughs> not flattering. You know, I so, thought of this as one of in my memory this was one of those Elliot Gould schlubby performances, which I guess it is. But he's not actually yeah. all that schlubby. He's not that much no, of a nebbish in this movie. I mean, two years later, he was. I I came to know him because he he was you know. The star of Disney movies, uh, right. th- th- which was which not a good thing at the time. No, uh, uh, the Last Flight of Noah's Ark and uh, The Devil and Max Devlin, which oh, were yes. two movies that played at our local theater, the the Arlington, which we could walk to in Arlington Heights. It's no longer there, but they always had the Disney movies, and that that, that was you know, I think eighty and eighty one or seventy nine yeah. and eighty or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, so he was coming off of whiffs in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> mean Johnny Barrows, uh, also 75. I will, I will for now. And uh, uh, infamous bomb Harry and Walter go to New York in 76. Yeah, which has some good stuff in it, but it is clearly like, we got to make a sting. Yeah. We got to make our sting. And, you know, Michael Caine and Robert, as Robert Shaw and James Caan and right. Elliot Gould as the uh, Redford Newman. So, so 78 is really sort of a comeback year for him with Capricorn 1 and also The Silent Partner. Oh, wait, right. you're skipping a crucial Oh, I'm time. sorry. I'm sorry. Matilda. Which I still haven't. It's one of the movies from those, you know. Should we force you to see that? The, the, uh, the Golden Turkey Awards. And yeah, should we force you to see that for, for Crackpot Cinema? Because that's on our list. So. I do want to see it. Yeah, all right. Because well, uh, Robert Mitchum is in it, too. So yeah. I'm a, 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to be a Mitchum completist. Okay. Well, consider it done. Ben and I are yeah. doing a Chomps and Homps episode. Chomps, I made a short film that's a, has, has a lot of homages to Chomps in it. Uh, that's one from us uh, that, that, that was a cable perennial or on TV perennial. See, Homps is the one I'm excited about. And then yeah. I, saw I, in a, I saw in a theater and haven't seen since. I'm sort of excited. Pomps is Joe Camp, right? Yes, yeah. I'm sort of excited yeah. about the whole Joe Camp thing. Yeah. I feel like I should be a Joe Camp completist. <laughs> does, he, do, he does for camels what he did for dogs and Benji. Is that the idea? That's is the that idea. That yeah. was the okay. idea. Yeah. So, the failed idea. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Brenda Vaccaro, of course, is uh, Jimmy Brolin's wife. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's very good. She's quite excellent. I but think. all I want to um, say is, if this movie was made twenty years later, it would she would have been Bonnie Bedelia, and I'll take Brenda Vaccaro over Bonnie Bedelia any day of the week. Thank you. My thing <laughs> is that I, I, my introduction to Brenda Vaccaro is Andrea Martin's perf- oh, yeah. impersonation <laughs> sure. on yeah. on on uh, SCTV. So I can't see Brenda Vaccaro without hearing her inhales you know my husband's doing very well in space <gasps> you know like yeah. i just i know it's not fair but she must have been a heavy smoker oh my I don't god know what it was. She, yeah no i mean yeah her and between her and elizabeth oh, i say was she's wonder. still yeah. alive yeah. Yeah. right she had a part in the the tarantino movie but she's mostly cut out of it yeah, I, I meant to ask about that because i saw that in her credits and i'm like who, who was she, she in in the- she plays pacino's wife but you only see like the back of her oh, head in the really? fuck <sighs> when, uh, oh, that's a shame. they're watching the movies in his screening room yeah and it's not even part of any of the extra footage he released later on huh no it's not on the blu-ray or anything no that's a shame yeah. so, so i think uh, she's great in this movie i think she brings terrific. a lot to this world. yeah he's got two scenes with elliot gould that are really good yeah yeah. Where he comes to see her, and they're interesting scenes where it's like it's not a, it's not an all the president's men where he's you know trying to be nice to get information. He's he's genuinely looking for information. But there's also this kind of cool undercurrent of, oh my husband's dead, your husband's your your husband's dead. Maybe there's a thing here between <laughs> us, you know. But we know a husband's alive, so it's a little because well, they, they get they get crocked together and yeah, you know. They, <laughs> And I and I want to give Peter Himes credit for that as well because he sets up that Elliot Gould dynamic with the women in his life in that first scene that he has with Karen Black where it's a similar thing where he doesn't he's trying to figure out what the best way to and she's telling him this is the best way to approach me you know beyond. yeah but he, and he's a ladies man but he's not a he's not a scumbag he's right. not gonna like right. you try and just get on you you know he's gonna be polite about it yeah. I I wanted to read my favorite uh, credit in the end titles. Forgive me if somebody else Please. was going to say that. Miss Vicaro's reading of Fox and Socks performed by special <laughs> arrangement with Dr. Seuss. That's fantastic. Wow. I'm glad she, you caught that. I did not. She, yes. She, uh, yes, after, uh, well, I'm jumping the gun here, but she, she reads that to her children in bed. And that's, that's actually quite a good scene, too. Yeah. So, and, and she had actually uh, co-starred with Elliot Gould in I Love My Wife in 1970. Right. When Elliot Gould was was the man. Yeah. It brought off uh, the one two punch of uh, um, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and MASH and being married to Barbara Streisand. Right. The uh the one when he was the once Miss Mr. Barbara Streisand. Yeah, the once and so, not the future. Uh, so we learn what's happened is that yeah uh the 
Robert Walden has been disappeared. There's the amazing scene in the apartment going, and then uh, someone has cut Elliot Gould's brakes, leads to this completely visceral and like utterly thrilling uh, out of control car segment, which just well, does appear also- in the opening credits of The Fall Guy. Right, exactly. It's in the fall, guy. And and also before that, out there he's playing pool with a, with Elliot Gould in the bar, yeah. and Elliot Gould gets a call, and it's just somebody mumbling. Yeah. And he can't hear him, and when he goes back, Walden's just gone. So, but no one, you know, apparently saw anything. Or, I mean, they they just they're just shadowy black helicopters, just, yeah, man. Stalinized, yeah. Yeah. It's a that's a great payoff to that scene. And and he you know and and it's and it's impressive that Himes pulls that off and then quickly pulls off the apartment thing, like yeah. gives you gives you those sort of goosebump moments like pretty close together and they both work. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a really that scene's chilling. I mean, yes, if you think about it, Vincent Canby style, it it doesn't make much sense, but it's pretty like. But no, you ugh, can't be stuck as, in my mind. As a child, there was no other child I hated more than. The kid that would watch the Roadrunner cartoons with you and go, uh, yeah, the coyote could really survive a fall like that. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah, just like not that, do it. Yeah, there's some comedian that used to do the joke where it's uh, uh, watching Gilligan's Island, and it's the one where the Harlem Globetrotters land on the island. and <laughs> But one of them gets injured, so they put Gilligan in, and they, the guy's like, yeah, like they put him in the game. And it's like, that's where it lost <laughs> you? Like, it's all time? <laughs> That's with Martin Landau. They play a team of robots. Yeah, robots. <laughs> <laughs> so. And then we have the, uh, so they, they broadcast this uh, video of the three astronauts in the capsule sitting in this tiny space, as we said, you know, clean shaven and wearing the same clothes, not looking worse for the wear. And uh, James Brolin clearly is... He seems either exhausted or something's wrong with him. And well, he does say before, right before that, he's not going to go along with it. Right. There's a scene where, the and thing, they're yeah. like, you're crazy. Because we, we forgot to mention that when they they initially are presented the idea with Hal Holbrook, yeah. they uh, he they say no, and he says that we're going to kill all your families right. that are on a plane together right now, and they're going to blow it up. Which it's was not me. It's that not was me. chilling. That was chilling <laughs> yeah. when he said that. Your family. Your like, family's your all friend. on a plane. Yeah. And I'm your friend that has that picture of you and me with you wearing that pin hat. <laughs> And it's it's also that the same photo that Brenda Vaccaro had, like right when he, when yeah. Elliot Gold walks in their house, it's the first thing you see. They got copies of that at the photo mat. Gave it to him. <laughs> it was a winner. Um, and so Brolin signals uh, Brenda Vaccaro. We know something's not right. And that, I thought that was such a great little bit of subtle acting from uh, both of them. Actually, he says, "Well, I'm going to take my son to Yosemite like last summer," and she just kind of squints. And you can't miss it, but it's really subtle and it's very effective because she picks up that something's not right. Right. Although and, I want to uh, say, following through on that little clue, uh, Elliot Gould winds up talking to her and finding out where it is that they did vacation, which wasn't Yosemite, but it was this other sort of flat rock. West, flat, flat rock. rock. Yeah, but, like and a that's tourist. a great piece yeah. of business where they're watching Brenda Vaccaro shows them the home movies, and she has it's expository, but it's a great piece of exposition and it's just on Gelly Gold's face as you see the images from the screen flickering on his yeah. face he talked about how he, they were making a western movie in this western town they went to and he couldn't believe how something fake could look so real and that's where Elliot Gold's light bulb goes off right there. which is terrific but then 
There's this I mean, it's a it's a cr- three crazy jumps in logic yeah, to yeah. Right. Frank got that happened. That the whole that whole flat rock thing turns into this weird red herring where he goes there, but there is yeah. nothing to discover there, and yet somebody takes a shot at him. We never really know who that is or what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, well, that whole thing is like okay. So the brakes thing, you know, he they they tamper with his brakes. He goes into the water. But they never really follow through on it. He just no, swims away. Yeah. So, like, in Lethal Weapon, when that happens to Mel Gibson, he's yeah. dead. And then he tells the police, like, Let, let's stay dead. They'll think I'm dead. Right. right. Which would be a good thing for him to do. I'm sure there's another movie I can't think of where some... Oh, he, in Parallax View, that's what Bourne Beatty does. Yes. They think he's dead, so he stays dead so that he can do the investigation. But in this, they, like, tamper with the brakes and let him swim away take a shot at him and drive away. And then later on they frame him, but his boss just bails him out and he goes right. back to the story. It's like, they're not, they're, it's not well thought out plan. Like no. the whole thing is destined to fail, which just leads me to believe it's just Hal Holbrook going rogue. Let's like give it's a, almost like he's the only yeah. one who knows. Maybe this is a good time to give a shout out to David Doyle, a.k.a. Bosley. Yeah. Bosley's. A.K.A. the poor man's Tom Bosley. Yeah. <laughs> he's got an enjoyable sort of stock cliche encounter with, um, well, a couple of them with Elliot Gould yeah. where they do that typical argument of like, I need to, you need to give me 48 hours. And yeah. David Doyle has a but good line where he says, clever, I saw that though. movie too. And it was 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They go, they go back between movie reporter, uh, movie, uh, uh you know, reporters and other old movie quotes type thing. And they're playing on that idea rather than just doing the stock. Right dialogue that you'd see and in, in quoting the movies like north side 777 and um yeah that, that i i like their their back i thought it was great day. i thought the rhythm yeah. between the two of them like to just kind of get that rat-a-tat it was really great and doyle i mean yeah he, you know lights up the screen he's really good at that small yeah. part really funny yeah why doesn't he have a special appearance by him box around his name it's <laughs> a good question was this pre charlie's angels must no, have been at the that same was 76 time, yeah? was Charlie's Angels. Yeah. So, huh. so was this was it, peak it, it, Charlie's it was... Angels. Yeah. Oh, well, he's great. And uh, Sorry, so... where were we, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> we're but... at the, uh, the um, rocket re-entering and uh, the heat shield failing and disintegrating the rocket. Right. Which necessitates that the three astronauts may, cannot be allowed to live. This was a, uh, a new thing to me, even though I've seen this movie several times. I, it was always my impression that it was the plan all along for the guys to die. That's what I figured, too, yeah. But it's, it's, it's an accident. Yeah. Right. And so they have to kill him. But you never really get that moment with Holbrook where he's, like, conflicted about that idea. Not in the slightest, sort of like, yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's resigned that this was always... Probably likely. It's kind of like the William H. Macy in Fargo, where yeah. it's like, what is he into that he has to do that? Like, we yeah. understand, yeah, the program has to be, it's important, but it's his best friend. He's the yeah. uncle to the, his kids, and he's just willing to, like, right. you know, kill him. But he keeps saying, you know, all these forces bigger than me. But right. We it, don't know if, is David Huddleston in on it? Right. He right. kind of gives him a look at the funeral. Whoever the other, their big corporate interests yeah. or whatever that are that are bigger than Holbrook, or maybe Holbrook's just full of shit and a total stone cold psycho. I don't know. Well, I do think that when you analyze this movie, it is interesting which plot points they hit repeatedly and which plot points they choose not to really 
deal with at all. And, and, you know, they don't seem to be the obvious ones, but instinctually it seems like they were right because this movie works, I think. It's better to leave it out than to come up with some cockamamie thing. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Although Holbrook does do a 20-minute monologue. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great, but it's like... The three guys. This whole thing out. He is thrilling. That, that scene yeah. where he's at poolside with um, yeah. really Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah. He great. is chilling. That's a great example of an audience knowing something that the other character doesn't know yeah. because he doesn't play it sinister at all. You know, he plays a completely friendly and Uncle Jim. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I don't. I know you don't want to talk about this now. It's just like. Ugh. So the three astronauts are in the conference room. I also, I love the ashtrays just everywhere. Yeah, oh, it's like there's an ashtray for each astronaut. Well, there's lots of smoking in that control room. Oh, this is yeah. a thing that I read that in the longer version, there's, so there's a version that apparently played maybe overseas or maybe in Japan oh. where they get the rations kit has cigarettes in it, which the rations kits always did right. have cigarettes in it. That's the thing that was cut out when it was, when it, yeah. The version that we've all seen. Yeah. So, a lot of smoking, but not yeah. not any by the astronauts, as far as I can no. tell in the movie. And I just figured, you know, to be Vincent Camby here, they could just pump poison gas in that room, and those guys would be dead in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, be... no one's guarding him. There's like a few guys outside, and he's like, he uses his medallion, and then somehow places it back on the soundstage before yeah. they're escaping. He, bring, yeah, he, he uses there. his uh, St. Christopher medallion to... Maybe he dropped it and like it got stuck on the gum of one of the guy's shoes who went <laughs> yeah. when they were cleaning out the soundstage right. where the Mars thing was, and that's how it ended up there. But and it seems like there's just one guy un- it was like unarmed. It was just like kind of hanging out at this yeah. place. And uh, you know what we'll do to guard this the world's biggest conspiracy? We'll lock the door. <laughs> yeah. They'll never get out of there. And, and I three, really, giant, yeah. three really tall guys, including yeah. a football player, will never yeah. be able to get through this door. Yeah, expertly trained soldiers and scientists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other point thing is that the greatest minds in the world work at NASA. Right. But Robert Walden is the only one that notices something's weird. Well, Otherwise, yeah. they're all in on well, it. I well, guess that's, that's the fun. thing. The movie tries to have it both ways, where like not yeah. a lot of people are in on it, or everybody's in on it, right. and it sort of changes depending on what they need for a scene to happen. You know, right. Right. But I think you're right, is that rather than go into who knows about it, it's, it's better to have yeah, these, just, these... Yeah, just present you, this what we need to You see the know. helicopters, you don't even see the guys really in no. the helicopters. The helicopters seem to talk to each other, turn and look at each other and communicate and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that, which is cool. Yeah. Like I think you know, the, the, in in movie conspiracy logic, this thing works just fine. Yeah, and and the only thing that really bugged me on a na, you know, on a, on a larger level was this whole timeline, the the length of time that they are, yeah, that yeah. they are out of sight and out of mind. Yeah. So uh, the so the three astronauts they make a break for it. They get on the airplane um, that brought them to the military compound, and they fly away. They realize they have they don't have fuel, so they land and split up they split up the uh supply kit and uh, the survival kit and just in the middle of a desert yeah Yeah. one goes and that's where you get your great survival movie which i I always love the survival movies you know man against nature movies and that's where for me it really yeah and that's that does become just it just achieves a next level of intensity and entertainment shot and a beautiful shot of them walking their separate ways um 
That looks like Mars. It really looks like yeah. the surface of Mars where they are. Oh, you make and, a good and point. A, and, a, you know, yeah. some of the great, you know, cinematic language, like no dialogue. James Brolin has to decide between staying in a cave and being bitten by a snake or going outside where the helicopters are waiting for him. And you know, we know that this, this conflict is, you know, and he's got to figure it out. So he's, you know, of course, kills the fucking snake and eats it. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, what do you is think? Is there poison in the snake that, if you eat I, it? I certainly stuff. was thinking that the whole time. Yeah. Or, is, or can it only be transmitted through the through teeth? the fangs? I think. Yeah. I'm not. I, I'm not a scientist, but no. I think like once he started eating the poisonous snake, that then he just ate a bunch of poison. But, but I gotta but, tell you, know, you, as a kid, when I first saw this, I immediately said, "Hey, that's the naked prey." Which was a movie I loved when I was like five oh, years old. I still haven't seen that movie. I, I, I know I needed to. I was, I was in kindergarten when I saw Cornel it. I loved Wild. it because I had a bunch of rubber snakes and then I was pretending to eat the snakes the whole rest of the day. And I read that they just they put sushi inside that, that yeah. rubber snake and that's what he's eating in the scene. Hey, have yeah. you ever seen that but, movie with Cornell Wilde? <laughs> naked. <laughs> yeah. uh, you better pray because you're going to be naked. <laughs> the. the, the um, <laughs> the, the yeah the two things i remember about with the seven-year-old six-year-old me probably uh with my brother coming back was this him telling me about the snake and about oj seeing thinking he sees birds mm. with that weird animation that was and, cool. and it turns out yeah. to be the helicopters yeah. well let me just say and I, always, I always liked that kind of tech too like in um, yes yeah like people point out like even john borman points out that he doesn't like the animation that they use when John Vernon falls from the building in Point Blank, and it's like an animated, like cell, like over yeah. the thing, and it. But it, I think it's just like a cool, like even if it's not what they intended, it's like I, an expressionistic, I, I like yeah. you know, uh, forbidden planet. Thing. It's full of animation. Yeah. Like oh, that. Oh, yeah. hang on, let's go back further yeah. to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, oh yes, those, yeah. those cartoon the bats bat, are fantastic. The greatest, the greatest. Yeah. yeah. Well, even in the '80s, like all that Richard Edlund stuff that he did with Ghostbusters and Poltergeist and stuff. Yeah. If you look at it now, it's all just it's animation, like all yeah. of the waves and the rays and the lasers and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we were just recently talking about, uh, we were just recently talking, <laughs> to go off on a tangent about Tammy and the T-Rex. And, oh, yes. um, I still haven't seen that and, one, too. And Stuart Raffle saying, you know, the producers, you know, they were like, well, we couldn't say it was a real T-Rex because it was this, it was this animatronic model that we had that was going to be in, going to like a, like a, 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 an amusement park or something. But, it, you know, the head worked and the eyes worked, but we couldn't really say it was a T-Rex. But I watched that movie and I'm like, this feels more like a real T-Rex to me than any of the CGI T-Rexes. It always does. Yeah. Well, it's uh, a, yeah. who said, I can't think of who the quote is attributed to, but CGI looks real, but feels fake. Right. And uh, practical looks fake, but feels real. I, I think, think it's Roger Ebert. Yeah, and yeah. Gilbert Gottfried yeah. 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 quotes yeah. them all the time. Gilbert always yeah, says yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's exactly right. it. Yeah. Well, speaking of T-Rexes, have you guys seen Future War? No. Which is it's a it's a Terminator knockoff from the either the late eighties or early nineties, but and it's like point for point the Terminator plot. But in addition to sending a Terminator and another guy to stop the Terminator, they also sent T Rexes. Wow. All right. Well that's on the list. I saw that one recently. It's uh it's quite something. But this Future. is a, this is the perfect point before we let Mike get control of the show again for me to say <laughs> what a great visual motif those two helicopters are so iconic oh yeah and when they turn and they look at each other that's yeah. like that's really cool and that's super 
difficult, coordinated. It looks so stuff. dangerous, the whole thing. Yeah. No one will do it anymore, you know, and, and probably for good reason. But yeah. this is the this sad. is I think the best helicopter as villain movie ever. I mean, um, I can't even think. I of... guess you know Tom Cruise does pretty good stuff in the Mission Impossible movie with the helicopter, and that's practical, and it's actually him. But yeah, yeah, but it doesn't. But it's not. Yes, and but you know, I was thinking of Blue Thunder. Is that that Roy Scheider yeah. movie? That that's doesn't hold a, a candle to this that too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's not the, the sequences. Maybe are not as complex. It's a better movie, I think. But it's it's. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's got some good stuff in it too, like the like the guy in a big orange pimp hat uh, out at the dumpster outside the circus liquor that <laughs> he like puts the f- flashlight on and there's that big car chase with the helicopter and stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. So uh, we, I did skip over uh, just a sort of non-issue is that the feds bust into Elliot Gould's apartment, plant cocaine on him, he gets arrested. And it's like a big salt yeah. shaker full of cocaine, right? And then, the, which, and then he, which which was probably Elliot Gould's on the set. That, he just <laughs> that, was, to the, that was just his pocket coke. That, that was yeah. just an outtake that they yeah, ended yeah. up in, integrating <laughs> into the story. No, I don't know that that's true. But like nothing comes of it. He gets fired. There's another scene with David Doyle bailing him out, but that's it. He bails him out, and he immediately gets help from Karen Black and, and yeah. breaks the bus, the whole thing wide open. Right. Yeah. So they don't they don't do a good job of stopping him, but they have you know. Yeah. I guess they figure you know they got the helicopters on the astronauts in the desert, yeah. and once they're wiped out, there's no evidence that any of this right. can be. And they're not counting on Telly Savalas. I actually loved um, not seeing the deaths and just the. I thought it was very poetic. The flare and the the the, the whistle of the flare and just seeing the light yes. in the sky. The, I really the, loved the, it. The cinematic. You know. I guess that the the aesthete in me really likes that, and the id in me wants to see some crazy violent yeah. death. You know, the 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 person that wants to see you know cool stuff happen wants to see those guys <laughs> yeah. killed. I mean, one guy's hanging off a cliff, and one guy's yeah. on the ground about to about to dive. Dive thirst. Yeah. Thirst. Yeah. Well, they certainly leave open all sorts of possibilities for a sequel that never happened in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That'd be great if like. The the two of them, Elliot Gould and Brolin, are running at the, at the funeral in slow motion, and then the helicopters fly in, each one piloted by Sam Waterston and OJ, and, la- <laughs> oh, and land on their own wow. coffins. <laughs> but we see the helicopters blow up, so yeah. that wouldn't make any sense. That would be that great. That might have been like the 80s or version. Or maybe of they're this, like yeah. blue, blowing, glowing ghosts, like, uh, yeah. like in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> the Return of the Jedi. Right. And then the special edition, they cast younger actors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to get Cuba Gooding as OJ. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were talking about the snake. What do we, I yeah. mean, this, that thing, I mean, there's not a single second where it doesn't look like that's an actual snake, including when it's he, a snake. but, but do, do you think that Brolin actually bit into a, a dead no, snake? No, he, he bit into a rubber snake that has a, um, uh, sushi in it. Yeah. That's what I read. Oh, sushi. Okay, yeah. that makes yeah. sense. But that was definitely that was yeah. an actual snake up against them. So yeah, uh, the first one. Yeah, yeah. and I want to say yeah. my my partner on uh, Crackpot Cinema, Aaron Lee, blew my mind. This is a story I can't believe he never told me. He loves Capricorn Run. Loves loves Capricorn One. Loved it as a kid. Wrote a Mad Style parody of it called <laughs> Can O Corn One. 
which is absolutely <laughs> mad level. Right. And this is when he's eight years old. Right. And there was uh, the part with the snake. He said, uh, you know, he drew James Brolin in the cave all hungry, like, oh, what am I going to do? And Ronald McSnake came in with a big snake hamburger to give him. <laughs> hey, we need to get Aaron on this show. Yeah. Yes. And what's the deal with like Aaron, the king of the shit jokes, doesn't call it crap. Crap corn one or something. Well, he was eight. He missed his opportunity. Yeah. He was only eight. <laughs> I remember they had cro- a crock of bleep now. A crock well, of shit now with the blip. Yeah. yeah. That a was a shock. blip now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, this leads us to Telly Savalas. Uh, a crop duster a crop in the middle duster. of the desert. Who uh, drives a hard bargain with Gould. Charges 25 bucks people, to Everybody the, being yeah, a pervert. Thinks everybody's a pervert. And, uh, you know, leads this chase. Gould tells him that there's some kind of money involved, and uh, he says, "You get this. You can have half the loot." Right. And um, yeah, just an amazingly thrilling sequence. When that biplane just dives, it's it. You know, my my stomach just sank. Even just watching this now on my TV it was amazing. And you have to remember, it's like there's two helicopters and a biplane. But then there's somebody, maybe more than one person, also following, filming that, and it's yeah. like. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and I couldn't actually tell if the ones that crashed were miniatures or they seem to be, they seem to be actual helicopters. They look like the me. size of helicopters, whatever, yeah, if didn't they were look or like not. like a Godzilla yeah, no. helicopter crash. If they were models, they looked like actual size models, yeah. Am I, this yeah. is such a great movie theater film. Is it true? Neither one of you have ever seen this in an actual theater? I did. No, I oh, saw you it did. when I was 10. Yeah. Oh, I saw it at the, uh, the Colonial in Keensburg, which was oh, the Dollar Theater. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. In August. And I, I really didn't understand what was going on. So. <laughs> yeah. My brothers, because they're two and four years older, like my dad started taking them to the more adult movies around this time. So they saw this and they saw Apocalypse Now and they saw Blazing Saddles re release. And The Long Riders, I remember, was the one that. So I would hear all the stories of these movies and I would see them later on TV. But, uh, the first R-rated movie I saw in the theater was the Dracula with Frank Langella and oh. uh, directed by John Badham, who did yeah. Thunder. But uh, Olivier, yeah, Frank Langella and Lawrence Olivier, and and of course for my first um, R-rated movie when I'm seven years old, a naked dead woman with glowing red eyes, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's probably, you know, it's not the first nude woman I saw because it used to be nude women in PG movies. So I saw Beverly D'Angelo in Hair. Right. Uh, But that was like, yeah, let's take Pat to this. He's seven. And it's like the most terrifying, like (laughs) glowing red eyes, naked, pale, dead woman walking towards camera. That was when I failed that negotiation. That was when I was starting to be. I heard allowed. you talking yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, they let I've been me meaning alien. to return to that yeah. one because I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I, I, I haven't. I haven't seen it since. I don't think. Yeah, I saw it on you know, TV once, and that was it. Yeah. Capricorn one. Ra- Capricorn one. It was rated PG, and it's. I think it's worth yeah. reading the very end of this Vincent Camby review because he talks <laughs> about that rating, and he yes. says. Um, it's, it should be noted, I think, that Capricorn One is another, quote, presentation by Britain's tireless show business entrepreneur, Lou Grade, which Lou Grade. is also something that I, from my very earliest memory of hearing Lou Grade, I heard, I remember 
people saying, uh, calling him uh, low grade, like that he was Sir Low Grade. Like that <laughs> Sir low, low Grade. I don't remember. I got to know him from the Muppet movie because that was, you know, the next right. year. And he's supposed to be, Orson Welles is kind of supposed to be him. Right. At the end of the movie. So anyway, uh, entrepreneur Lou Grade, who has recently given us, us such other exercises in conspiracy as the domino principle. The Cass- Ooh, that's a bad one. <laughs> the Cassandra Crossing. And Voyage of the Damned, which I guess is more of a disaster movie, I right? I like that movie. Yeah, yeah that's it a really is, good but it's movie, a, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, all, and this is a very funny line, <laughs> Vincent Camby, a strange word he uses. He says, all entertainments of a strikingly similar mingy order. <laughs> yeah, mingy, that was the word I saw. <laughs> um, Capricorn 1, which has been rated PG, has some mildly vulgar language, but it offends only common sense. It's a G-rated movie in disguise. So Camby wow. thought it should have been rated G. I don't know. I mean, Gene Sisko gave it a three and a half out of four, mm-hmm. right. but I couldn't find an Ebert review of it anywhere. No, me neither. And He uh, must have been on vacation. And I couldn't find the LA Times review. I looked through there, too. So. That was a Kevin Thomas review. Yeah. I saw a quote from it. I saw the pull quote, but I couldn't find the actual review. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it was sort of know, a non-committal good. It was like, you know, an exciting time or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's hot and you want to have popcorn. Yeah. 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 It was like well, could have been in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. So here's a quote that I, and it may be attributed from the same source because I've run across it on IMDb and Wikipedia, is that it keeps claiming that it's the biggest uh, the most successful independent movie of the year, no. but isn't Halloween yes. known as the most successful independent film of all time? I was going to say that must be like creative accounting because I bet they're counting seventy-seven that one Japanese screening, and Halloween came out uh, October twenty-fifth, so it probably made most of its money into seventy-nine. Okay, so somebody's looking or at seventy-seven. Well, they're just saying. Yeah. I think they're just saying like in in nineteen seventy, not not carrying over everything Total, those yeah. movies have made since, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it made it. it, it cost five and it grossed 12 but i mean <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's not that it's, no it's fine i mean that's yeah. when they didn't spend 30 million for advertising but there and would be like those that. weird drive-in movies like alice goodbody and things and they would make the equivalent of a hundred million dollars now yeah, granted, it was over a couple of years yeah, but exactly still, yeah i was gonna say that you brought the drive-in that that my brother i think brought this up that same summer I saw a foul play at the drive-in, and the second movie was Airport 77. Yeah. Right. Which I remembered much more. I mean, I was there to see Chevy Chase. Yeah. But I remembered Airport 77 much more vividly. The, the plane is underwater, and it's I the had definitely fear of yeah. drowning in water for most of my life. So that was uh, very vivid to me. Well. Sorry, it's stuck you with know, you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything else you want to say about Peter Hyams? You know, he, he, his movies are like really well-made crap. Like they're, <laughs> yeah, my, they're, they're, my dog Zelda was agreeing there. Dog of the yes, week. <laughs> the dog of the week. They're, they're enjoyable, some more than others. Um, they're well shot and, and cut and sometimes scored. Like, like 2010, you know, is another movie. I, I did see that in the theater and I loved it. Me too. And now, yeah. now I'm kind of like... Yeah. Peter Himes is going to make a movie explaining 2001, yeah. no. <laughs> but it's still enjoy. It's still enjoyably stupid. Yeah. Outland, I have always found boring. Terrible. I keep trying to return to it, and I just it. 
every couple of years, I'm like, maybe this is good now, and it's just, that, that's dull. That was an early VHS rental for me at my uncle's house. He was the first guy in the family to have a VCR, and uh, I remember being yeah. bored and infuriated that it was rated R, because I couldn't understand why. It was just those heads exploding yeah, in the helmets, which is like the only yeah. good thing in the in the yeah. in the movie. Uh, the Presidio, I saw that once in the theater. Never saw when it came out. Um, How about Good then, Night, My Love, the nineteen seventy two TV movie that Ben I made seen, I, I started to watch that on YouTube <laughs> the other day. I've seen Busting, which I should really like, but I don't. It's not that good, which I no. I, I know, I know, it's the same thing. And I did like Peeper okay when I saw it. Um, I never with saw Natalie that. Wood and, and Michael Caine. The weird and thing about it's... Busting to me that I discovered was that it was the basis, it was the inspiration for Starsky and Hutch. Right. And I had no idea. And that's like, you know the movie The Moon Runners from 75, another drive in hit? That was the inspiration that's of a the Moon Dukes China. and Hazard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Waylon Jennings is a narrator and everything. Yeah. The one that I have, which I like, although it has the weirdest miscasting is the the moonshine war that elmore leonard wrote but as the hero of the moonshine clan alan alda it's like the oh, weirdest. that's right i never saw that that's right <laughs> um running scared i liked when it came out but it's uh not, uh, yeah. not good no, I, yeah star chamber actually i saw recently which hal holbrook basically plays the same role in this right. the friend of michael douglas who turns out to be a fascist and that that that's pretty good um, Narrow Margin, I liked the remake of Narrow Margin with Gene Hackman yeah. and Archer. I just saw Stay Tuned a month ago, and it is a boy. I, that would have been a shitter on your uh, John Ritter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we up. skipped that one, but we did. It's 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 a little later than the ones yeah. you talked about, yeah. it, but it's it's got a few laughs because it's about a TV, a cable station run by Satan, and yeah. there's a few jokes which i've already forgotten that are funny but bad and then he just he made two van damme movies and i want to say he started making the first like bad van they're like movies that i didn't enjoy time cop being right. the first one i did like sudden death when i saw it again recently yeah. the relic was was bad i fucking hated that movie <laughs> I hated that, that. the thing i remember most about that movie is that when they were filming in chicago in the sun times um Tom Sizemore was arrested for beating his wife. Damn. <laughs> that's what I remember about Time it. Cop is a movie and, that got, I remember getting great reviews when it came out, and I went and saw it, and I was like, this is such a piece of shit. Yeah, but those are the same people that gave bad reviews to those other Van Damme yeah. movies to that like were Death good. To like Death Warrant and Lionheart, yeah. the completely And, and Bloodsport and, yeah. and, you know. And then he did, you know, late, you know, era Schwarzenegger, End of Days, which was terrible. The, the worst. Saw that. Oh. And the Sound of Thunder was the last one that I attempted to watch, and was because it was one of those where the trailers got to be like, "This is going to be so funny," and yeah. it's just bad. Uh, the Musketeer I did not see. That was two thousand and one, and he did another Van Damme movie yeah. in twenty thirteen. Enemies Closer. Wow, and he did Universal Soldier. That that is something. Um, Oh no, that was his the son, original. John. Oh, John oh okay, you're right. Sorry, yeah. But I think he was cameraman. I think he, I think he shot it. He might have shot it. He might have like wrote it and produced it or whatever. But yeah, his son is doing those movies with Scott Atkins, who's like the new trying to make the new uh, martial arts guy and stuff. Huh. But you know, it's a it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag there. There's no 
there's no great movies, but there's some um, entertainments and, you know, like this one, you know, really nicely crafted. And I think you'll, you'll have a good time if you watch it. It's fun. Capricorn you know? one. Yeah. 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 No, he, great, he, yeah. This is the guy, this is the other director that popped into my head now. And I was trying to think about careers like Peter Hyams. I don't know why but I started thinking about Taylor Hackford. Oh yeah. Mm. Now who do you take Taylor Hackford or Peter Hyams? Well, Taylor Hackford, really, the only really, I mean, I saw Officer and a Gentleman not that long ago, and it did, didn't hold up for me. Right. I don't like uh, um, Ray. Ray. Yeah. I don't like any biopics or, or not. Uh, no. I'm trying to think of okay, the Taylor Hackford. He, he made one of the, one of the few not completely terrible Stephen King adaptations. It's not good. Oh, Dolores, Dolores Claiborne. Claiborne. Yeah. It's not good. Blood in, Blood out. I haven't seen that oh, one. Oh, I saw that. That's the gang movie. That was okay. Yeah. yeah. He did a Parker movie. He did a, He did the oh. only uh, Parker movie that's where the character's named Parker. <laughs> the, 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 right. the Jason Statham one. Oh yeah, okay. and it's pretty good. I thought. I mean, it's it, it, it's you know, it's aiming low. It's like a canon movie, yeah. uh, you know, for 2013. He did Love Ranch, was which is the only oh, yeah. movie Joe Pesci starred in between right retiring and, Mirren, and, yeah. and the Irishman. Yeah, which I haven't seen. His wife, Taylor Ackford's wife. Proof of Life, which is the movie that split up uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's marriage with by with Russell Crowe. Mm. Devil's Advocate is uh, uh, oh, he produced oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah that's that pretty movie. entertaining. Yeah. When we were kings, Devil's Advocate feels like a movie Peter Himes could have made. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and like I said, you know that that the last movie that he did is the comedian with with Robert De Niro, which I didn't want to get into. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that one. But it was apparently a passion project of De Niro's, and it was like forever. Yeah. Yeah. But he okay. did make the Chuck these, Berry documentary, which that is that documentary and the One yeah. Were Kings are are great. White yeah. Knights, I remember enjoying. Oh yes, I like that. Yeah. Against all odds, I haven't seen in years, but I remember liking. But I, don't, yeah. I guess the Idol Maker is the one that a lot of people oh, really liked. I and love that's that first movie, but... <laughs> with Cesare. Yeah, I, I haven't Cesare. seen it since you know the on TV days, but yeah, the late great Ray Sharkey, yeah, Star Vehicle. Mike Kenny's um, gonna kill us. So I, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I'll take Hyams. Yeah, I get the high sign to Hyams. I guess so. And you take Peter Hyams or the band Hyam, the the all girl band. <laughs> oh, they're good. Yeah. yeah, I do like that. Yeah, Hyam is good. Yeah, their new record is good. Really good. Yeah, I I know that I saw a movie. Uh, the biggest movie of the year and one of the biggest movies of all time came out two weeks later, Grease. Yeah. And I never liked it. Really? I no, loved it. Oh my God. But Still I different. liked, but I liked the Frankie Valley song. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. And I bought the 45. Sure. What about, but I don't ever remember liking it. What about Grease it. 2? Oh, man. I never have seen it all the way through. I know people have a, a, a I have a, a, part, a, I'm very annoyed. That's like a, a millennial thing is to champion Greece two over Greece. And it, yeah. It, it really cheeses me off. Yeah. It's like they when no somebody business. does the quote, when you're talking about airplane and they do a quote from airplane <laughs> two and you're like, fuck. It's like, you know, sequels that, you know, they're not the worst thing in the world, but they right. just didn't need to happen. Got Ghostbusters right. two and airplane yeah. two and, all right, so, so what else we got? So um, uh, this movie was released in New York, and I'm assuming across the country on Friday, June second, nineteen seventy eight. 
if you had been looking for a movie to go see that day, you could have also seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Which this movie, I think, along with the conspiracy theory, and Close Encounters has the conspiracy angle for a long yeah, time, too. Yeah, you're right. Although this probably maybe went into production before, because that came out at Christmas in 77, but it's got some similar elements to it. So I'm wondering, in June, do you think Close Encounters had played straight through, or this was a summer re-release? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember movies playing for at least six months, and... And those uh, Spielberg movies played for a year easily. Yeah, and easily, I remember yeah. Saturday Night Fever played for yeah. a, a year. Right. Well, that was and also they, they for like a year. announced in the ad, like first anniversary and stuff. And know? then they put the the uh, the PG version of Saturday Night Fever out too, the like Greece, during that yeah. time. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Saturday Night Fever, the R-rated version, was playing um, that day. Oh, apparently this was supposed to come out in February, hmm. but Superman was delayed. So they t- took Superman's date. Oh, yeah. And Superman came out at Christmas. Oh. Right, right. Um, also showing um, Coming Home with Jane Fonda, John Voight, and Bruce Dern. Good movie. Yep. yep. Great movie. Uh, Fist. Sylvester Stallone. I've never seen it. <laughs> never saw it. That's not good. It's not good. I mean, it's one where it's just like you want to see it because, you know, it's... Right. It's Fist. It's, it's just, it's, it's boring. It's not, you know, it's not enjoyable. It's just boring. Got Rod Steiger in it, though. Here's a movie mm. that was showing that I don't know, and oh, I really, I should. Well, I'm Mike. I'm guessing you've seen this. Uh, Judith Chris says it has excellent suspense, and uh, Woman's Wear Daily called it marvelous. <laughs> uh, Nunzio. Oh Nunzio. yeah, I've always wanted to see that. That's the. Um, David Proval vehicle where where he goes full uh, the word we don't say anymore. I don't know Nunzio. Oh man, um, you don't. It was one of those. Mo- Joe Spinell those- is in it. Wow. It was one of those movies that like in the wake of Rocky, like Burt Young got Uncle Joe Shannon. And, yes, yes. Like, they were made around all these kind of underdog movies, and somebody involved with Rocky, I thought had something to do with Nunzio, but I've never seen it. I want to see it too. Uh, Joe Spinell is in it, and um, directed by. Paul Williams. That's not, can't be. That's a different, different. Paul that's Williams. That's gotta it's be, the, yeah. It's yeah. the guy that did that uh, busting. Uh, not, not, not busting. Uh, <laughs> what's that one? Like, um, uh, is it called? It is called busting, I think. Is it, where it's another like, busting, um, yeah. It's like a drug uh, trade, uh, drug uh, busting, or, and Dealing? it's got like a longer. Dealing, is that Dealing it? or the Berkeley, the Boston or Berkeley that's blues it. or something? The yeah. Lost Bag Blues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. That John Dealing. Lithgow is in. Yeah, it's that. It's that Paul Williams. Yeah. I saw the re-release of American Graffiti this summer. My mom took me to see that, mm-hmm. which I was that like right around that time. That was the first time I saw that. Uh, Capricorn One's got one of those great ads where it's got all the faces of the actors yeah. above their well, names. Well, that was a Cisco and Ebert thing too. And I, if I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like it was for the movie Bear Island in 1980. But they said whenever there's a movie where the heads, the, the actors' heads are in boxes <laughs> yeah. at the bottom, it was a bad movie, which I don't agree with. But right, maybe we we right. enjoy not it in if a disaster way, movies but. are your comfort films. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at this the dates of the release, and I bet my mom took me to see American Graffiti, and, t- and my dad took my brothers to see Capricorn mm. One because it's like a, it came out a week before. Anyway, so here's a movie that I have never seen, but I really need to see, and I'm assuming you. 
are, we'll do this on crackpot at some point. Um, the Joe Brooks, uh, film. If ever oh, I see yes. you again, if ever I see you again. Yeah, now, w- Didn't he turn out to be a crazy major oh, me too oh, guy? Yeah. Oh, like beyond. Yeah. No, a major. So criminal, he, you know, he, what, he like, he like wrote, you light up my life, the song or something, and then turn right. that into a career starring writing and starring in movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you light up my life was a movie that I saw more than it's once. Like a Burt Convy looking motherfucker. I saw it more <laughs> than once glasses. in a theater. Yeah. I think does you, you saw it more than once in a theater. Yes. Because I'll tell you why in a second, but by the way, that's the most amazing thing said yeah. in this entire podcast. Joe Brooks, um, stars in, if ever I see you again. Yeah. He's, right. the, he's the romantic lead. Yeah. Um, but I saw, I was big time into You Light Up My Life because it starred, now that she wasn't using her singing voice, but it was Dee Dee Khan, uh, right. uh, Frenchie right. in Greece, and because yeah. I went to school at the time with her younger brother, Richard. Her real name was Dee Dee Bernstein, and Richard Bernstein was my classmate. And, um, and her mother, whose nickname was Boots, taught the children's art classes at the Breezy Point Surf Club in the 70s and 80s. I saw a movie a few years ago on my birthday at the New Beverly. They had the J. Lee Thompson week. Oh, yeah. The Greek the Greek Tycoon, which was playing Always in to May it. of 78. It's good. I yeah. mean, it's again, it's just, it's really enjoyable cheese. Yeah. No, that's on our crackpot list for sure. I saw yeah. that with, on I think the double feature with The Ambassador, which is the Robert Mitchum, oh, yeah. Rock oh, yeah. Hudson, Cannon movie, where um, uh, it's fifty-seven pickup with the, the, the with a different fifty-two uh, pickup, yeah, yeah, 52 yeah. Pick up, it's, it's but Ellen Burstyn is totally nude through like much of the movie, and she's closing in on, and she's she looks great. Yeah. But Rock Hudson, it's a year before he's publicly has AIDS, and he's like a complete ass kicker in that yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm killing your letterbox guy now again. No, no, no. Um, also playing was a movie that I actually watched last week uh, called Thank God It's Friday, which I believe I saw in a theater at the time. I think Jim somebody just told me, me to he that. just watched that too. I still haven't seen it. Uh, I saw it at midnight at the Sunset Five with Aaron Lee. It's got... Oh, when, what year was that? 95. And he walked up to okay. the box office and put his money down and went, T-G-I-F. <laughs> I almost of course killed you did. <laughs> yeah, I didn't move to LA till '98, so I missed that. It's a movie that features Donna Summer acting, and Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum as the as a yeah. heavy. Uh, he's sort of yes. the the antagonist in that movie, and then um, a guy Academy Award winning theme song. Yeah, and a guy, and a guy that I've come to love in the last couple weeks, Chick Venera, is in this movie. Yeah, Chick. Chicky boy. Boy, Grease and Jaws 2 opened on the same day, and those were both yeah. huge movies. Yeah. Uh, Philip DeBrocka's Dear Detective was playing in New York City. Uh, Donna, oh, no. Donna Floor and her two husbands. The End with Burt Reynolds, yeah. which you guys talked about before. Is Here is, uh, here's an exciting film that was... Um, I think was uh, just starting that day. Um, a laser blast. Oh, oh wow. yeah. That opened that's in New the York. one with, with Roddy McDowell, right? Yeah, Roddy McDowell, yeah. Keenan Rainbow Wynn. Smith. Yeah. I always confuse that with Star Crash. Right. With, like the that's names. Joe Spinell. 
They're very different. Laser Blast had a had a, Laser Blast ran commercials on TV all the time, and yeah. I remember like thinking, I remember this is seeing fantastic. just being like, "Wow, it is it so low so budget." Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was <laughs> playing. Well, do you remember it, they ran it with uh, the double feature was End of the World. That's what I was about to say. That's yeah. what it is. End yeah. of the World with Christopher oh, Lee. But the commercials, so they had Jagger. Laser Blast, and they were like these weird like claymation aliens, and it looked amazing. Right. And it was like this could be going on right now. And then it would say, also, end of the world. And it was just the, the globe in space, and it blew up. It was like, end of the world. That's <laughs> laser blast the kid he has, like, he has, like, the, the laser arm. gun and on it's the his greatest arm. scene yeah. in cinema. Yeah. He goes to a fucking Star Wars billboard and blows the shit out of it with his gun on. Um, by the way, that double feature was playing in Brooklyn that weekend at, count them, 11 theaters in Brooklyn alone. <laughs> it was hot. Hot market. The Albemarle, Brooklyn's the favorite. Benson, the Canarsie, the City Line, the Duffield, the Regent, the Rex, the UA Ridgewood, Rugby, Walker, and Williamsburg all had. You sound exactly like the guy would on the commercial. Like yeah. that's what, yeah. like the end of it. <laughs> right. the, the local voiceover guy would do. Yeah. And right next to the ad for Laser Blast is uh, Louis Mall's Pretty Baby, <laughs> which was playing at uh, the Carnet. I heard you. That, that was a, a great episode of Crackpot. Yeah. <laughs> Put uh, put things in a new context for me. That whole era, uh, really disturbing. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's something that is advertised. I'm sure you can. Oh, maybe it's just a pun on the name. Water Sports Midnight Show, exclusive New York oh. showing every Friday and Saturday night. Do you know? I don't think that's a movie theater. That must be. Like <laughs> no, this was at the Eighth Street Playhouse. Do you know what movie it was, Mike? The water sports show? It was Water Sports Midnight Show. It was John Waters' Desperate Living. Oh, okay. I thought it was like clever. a cruising thing. Yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah. Clever, clever. Yeah. Uh, also in theaters was, as you mentioned, The Greek Tycoon, uh, House Calls. Jim and I saw Rabbit Test. That also oh, played. I saw at Rabbit the... Test in yeah. a theater. Yeah. Oof, wh- <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Have you ever heard the um, Rob Reiner? The. Uh, Billy Crystal roast by uh, it's it's not it was a it's on the celebrities at the they, worst CD. at their worst yes I have yeah yeah and that Rob Reiner does the Billy Crystal style songs like he used to do right. at the Oscars of Billy Crystal's yeah. movies and his uh, rabbit test is uh, I'd rather fuck a fist than see that mess <laughs> Rabbit right. test. Oh, my ass is hurting. You ain't no Richard Burton. <laughs> yeah, it's strange what we would go see because the parents would just be like, hey, hey get out of the house. PG. Go down yeah. the block and see the movie. Yeah, it's PG. That's how I saw House Calls, another movie that I, I like. I still haven't seen a House Calls. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen how the bat- house calls baffled is, is you. A- yeah, I don't. I couldn't tell you what. I mean, it's it's hospitals. I mean, it's about doctors, right? But I couldn't understand what was funny about it. Oh, nothing. It was like a middle aged romance, man. and I was nine, and I was like, "What the is hell it is it funny this now? Have you seen it since? I haven't seen no. it. I did watch the sitcom with Wayne Rogers and uh, Lynn Redgrave. Right. That seemed to be on forever. Yeah. Even though it probably was on for. T- two years or something i was gonna <laughs> everything seems like forever i was gonna tell you what was on tv that day for us to watch movie right, wise lay it on us. should we okay the white shadow and well yes but i'm gonna i'm just gonna concentrate on the movie list the tv movie the movies that oh, were on movies. tv oh, okay uh although i will mention that romper room was on at 10 a.m on channel 9 right. i dream of genie was also on uh, i would have watched both those but on channel 7 wabc in new york 
uh, at 10 a.m., you had the opportunity, and this is so this is a Friday morning. You could have seen with a song in my heart, part four. So they would, ABC <laughs> would would show movies for an hour a day, and like yeah. for however long they lasted into the week. Then so we were at. That's yeah. how I saw like Planet of the yeah. Apes. Like it yeah. was on three thirty movie right. for ninety minutes right. with commercials, yeah. and like when the movie started, they were already like on the planet. Like it wasn't. Yeah. You didn't find out how they got there or whatever. It wasn't until yeah. years but later. But I got to so. tell you, this yep. movie with a song in my heart, I've never, I don't know anything about it. And is it, it a Danny Kaye movie? I know no. that. No, you know what it is? It's Susan Hayward? Is who's, yes, who's and that? she's <laughs> starring, it's Susan Hayward starring in the Jane Froman story. I don't know who Jane Froman is. No. Okay, so I know that movie because it's Mr. Skin's favorite nip slip of all time. <laughs> <laughs> She's yes. got more than a song in her heart. Yes, she's got something coming out of her chest, out of her uh, dress. No, she like <laughs> she lifts up like she's singing. She's emoting, and you get the full, you know, Madonna wow. in the Papa Don't Preach video. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. In, 19, in a 1952 film, so New York Times says the Jane Froman story, sugar and heartache style, but Grand Froman singing with ripe earful, well mouthed by Susan. That's the kind of shit well, they would right. write about movies. Yeah, Mr. Skin was the he he alerted me to the fact that Blu-ray was you know helping you to see things that yeah. you would not have seen before, like like in the James here. Bond movie, like in yeah. Thunderball and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we Furberg Ridge at one yeah. p.m. Yeah. on Channel Nine. We could have watched The Harder They Fall, which New York Times described as a good hard-boiled boxing drama starring Humphrey Bogart, uh, Humphrey Bogart movie? and Rod, Rod Steiger. Steiger. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Uh, James Brooks. Oh, I don't know. Oh, it doesn't say. Could be. Yeah, I think so. Um, at 4.30, the 4.30 movie that Friday was part two of Scared Stiff, the Martin and Lewis film. Oh, sure. Which, yeah. which is like 70 minutes long, like part yeah, right. two. Like. <laughs> and New York Times called it Lukewarm Mulligan Stew, infinitely better earlier as Bob Hope's The Ghost Breakers. I don't know. Do we agree with that? I thought Scared Stiff was pretty good. I don't yeah, know I always liked Scared funny. Stiff. But I, I, didn't I also see it love that The Ghost Breakers, though. Uh, going back a half an hour. What about the Sherman Helmsley's movie? What's Ghost that? Fever. Ghost Fever. Yeah. Luis Avalos. Um, at, uh, back a half an hour at 4 p.m. on Channel 9, we could have watched Captain Lightfoot from 1955 starring Rock Hudson and Barbara Rush. Oh, that's where he's like a uh, scaramouche, like a type a dandy type. Mm. I've seen that one. Uh, why did I see that? I don't know. Someone <laughs> talked about it in reference to something else. Well, the New York... Is it... Oh, it's a Douglas Sirk movie. Oh, okay. Wow. I believe. Uh, New York Times says... Uh, this is, dismisses it with four words. It says, Pat Adventure, Pretty Ireland. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a Sirk. It's sort of like either like before he found his groove or... A movie he agreed to do, you right. know, because it was quote unquote commercial. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah. At nine o'clock uh, at night on Channel 7, WABC, I don't know that this was a premiere, but it might have been part one of Eleanor and Franklin, the TV movie. With, Probably not uh, a premiere if it was June. Right, okay. Is that Eleanor and Franklin with Edward Herman. Like Barry Boswick? Jane, ha- Jane Alexander and Edward Herman. Edward Herman. Edward Herman, yeah. right. Barry Bostwick played George Washington. Yeah, no, I remember 80s, the yeah. Eleanor and Franklin now, of course. And yeah. then, like, Edward Herman was, like, the go-to yeah. FDR guy yeah. for years. Like Hal Holbrook and uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. 
Yeah. Boys are he like actually hobbled yeah. his legs uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so they right. could yeah. be more available. And Mike, you said <laughs> you used to stay up all night watching movies, right? I did. So at 11.30 at night, you had a choice between on Channel 2, CBS, The Last Run from 1971, with George C. Scott and Trish Vanderveer. Richard Fleischer. I don't know it. Wow. That's a good one. That's like in the, that was like in the midst of the Bogart cult in the 70s. Yeah. They were trying to make a Bogart movie with George C. Scott. And it's based on a Hemingway uh, story, I think. It's not great, but it's pretty good. I've got the Warner Archive DVD somewhere here. And then, or you could have chosen between that and on Channel 5, which was WNEW, Independent Station, um, the Chapman Report from 1962 with Jane Fonda and Claire Bloom and Shelley Winters. Uh, anyone, has anyone seen that? that no, that sounds so scandalous. New York Times says sex, of course, but surprisingly yes. mm. entertaining. Not the trash it might have been. Glynis, Glynis referring to Glynis Johns, is the funniest and Claire is the strongest. Claire Bloom. Hmm. Is she funny like Sam Waterston is funny? <laughs> yeah, must be. Uh, but but of course, also at eleven thirty on Channel Nine on Friday night was Second City TV. So that's where we would. Oh yeah, that's, what we that's when I used to watch that. Like stay up yeah. late and watch that. But if you were watching SCTV at at midnight, you could have stayed on Channel Nine and watched Creature with the Atom Brain from nineteen fifty five. New York Times says about Creature with the Atom Brain. No head on this beer. Oh, <laughs> Jesus clever. Christ. That's like when Leonard Malton writes. I love it. I use it all the time. He goes, eh, you know, Capricorn one. Um, you know, the plot makes sen- no sense, but it's fun. So why carp? Why carp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why carp? Uh, and then, Mike, if you'd stayed up even later at one at one thirteen in the morning. Wow, uh, specific. CBS Channel 2 was going to show Harper, the Paul Newman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love Harper. Harper's great. Yeah. And then at 2.13 in the morning on Channel 5, I don't know why these shows were starting. It's yeah. weird, yeah. Uh, Blaze of Noon from 1947 with Sterling Hayden and William Holden. Wow. Can't go wrong there. Um, Is there a 3 a.m. Channel 9 movie? Well, at 2.40 a.m. on Channel 4 oh, okay. CBS, there was the TV movie Voyage of the Yes with Desi Arnaz Jr., <laughs> and Christ. the the yeah. one word that was the world premiere by the way yeah. 4 30 yeah. in the morning the on one word description on um on the new york times uh of the voy- voyage of the yes was Shit sandwich no it, it was no no there <laughs> yeah. you go yeah saw that one coming. and if you had yeah. stayed up till 407 in the morning on channel two you could have seen the crimson blade from 1964 with oliver reed Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I, I've never seen it, but I know it. Yeah. No, I don't know. I wouldn't have stayed. I wouldn't have stayed up for any of those movies back then. No. Well, no, but the creature with the Adam Brain. Marcus Welby. At two, at two thirty a.m. That's right. Marcus Welby at two thirty, right? At two thirty a.m. on Channel Eleven was Biography, Adolf Hitler. So you could have stayed. Oh up man, tomorrow. that was a, that's a, that's like the <laughs> that's like the stairway to heaven of the biography episodes. Choice. Yeah. Do I watch the Hitler biography or the Desi Arnaz Jr. Yeah. movie? Now, I, here's one last thing, and this isn't a movie thing, but at 1 a.m. Right. on NBC on Friday night, you could have watched the Midnight Special, which I don't know why okay. that was on at 1 a.m. Uh, why wasn't it on at midnight? Because Johnny the Carson East. was on. Okay. So uh, the guests that night on the Midnight Special were Crystal Gale, who was the host. Great. Lover. Hair down to her ass. Crystal yeah. Gale is the host, Further. and then on Ankles. the show itself, Bob Dylan. Wow. The band. 
Okay. Oh. Makes sense. Oh, so that's like Last Waltz time. Yeah. Chuck the movie came Mangione. Out. Big hit of the year. Feels so good. Yeah. yeah. Eddie Rabbit. Okay. Whoa. Getting his star. Every which way but loose. Uh, that's right. Year. Yeah. Andy Kaufman, and then in parentheses, comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I remember his bits on there. Yeah. A band I've never heard of called Peace and Quiet. Don't know them mm. at all. No. And then finally, Tom Petty and the Heartbreak. Wow. Just wow. getting started. Damn. That's a time you know, capsule episode. Jeez. You know what I just got recently that I'm really enjoying is it's like five bucks a month or something. Uh, Night Flight Plus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's the, the entire yeah. episodes of Night Flight, including yeah. the commercials from yeah. the 80s. It's phenomenal. Oh. Yeah. Love it. Good time. Well, well, well it's, we've only been talking for two and a half hours. So, <laughs> yeah, we, talk, we talked a half hour longer than the actual movie. I want to but... point out that there was an hour of me first not being home. <laughs> yes, we've actually, well, I've been on the line with Pat Healy now for all day, and it's then like... my computer completely misbehaving and giving me a throwing me into such a fit of screaming obscenities that my wife had to remind me there is a newborn baby upstairs. Right, and, and I'm just gonna. The neighbors, I'm also apologizing for the sound quality on today's episode. Mike's mic isn't working, so he's talking straight into his computer. And Does I, it sound bad? No, it sounds fine, but I'm but I'm hearing your yeah. chair extra extra oh creaky. Oh my god! All right, enough. This chair is getting shot to death. This was, this was, I didn't hear the chair. Yeah. Okay, that's all right. I've had this issue with uh, another engineer. So. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> The great Dima from Diabolic. Yeah. Right on. So well, this has been fantastic, Pat. You're gonna this have to be. A, you're gonna have to be a regular yeah. uh, on the show. Yeah, we'll please. To... I, 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 look, I'm not doing anything, and I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you Thank for you so yeah. this. Was a, this was a time. scintillating conversation about a movie a that I really enjoyed in my childhood, and still think is all right. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Uh, anything cool we left out? Is there anything anybody wanted to say? About? Yeah, yeah, I think. We left it out. It's not supposed to be. Literally. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I got all my notes covered. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You tell me I'm not in a lost time. You tell me I'm dragging my heels. Do you make the most out of our time? Do you think you know how I feel? I don't know. I don't know which way. Jump in the car, grab a buzz on, cruising without.